welcome to Cocktails and Calamity, the show where we get inebriated and discuss the fallout of technology, politics, and the social transformations shaping humanity's global future. Hey everybody, and welcome to Cocktails and Calamity, the show where we get inebriated while discussing the social transformations, technology, and politics shaping humanity's global future. I've got myself here, Michael Mataluni. Joining me today are Brooks Lopez and Kristen Mataluni to discuss. Uh, in the next hour, we're going to be discussing quite a few uh, current events. We're going to talk about the DNC, um, the national convention that the Democrats put on this week. We're going to be talking about the California wildfires. We've got a lot going on when it comes to current events. And then for our main topic, we've got Chase Oliver joining us, who's running for John Lewis's fifth congressional seat in Georgia this week. So super excited to have him on. Um, much to discuss. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we kick it off by talking about our cocktail today, the, uh, the Libertini. The Libertini. Hey, the Libertini. How, how perfect is that? Um, so the Libertini is uh, two ounces single malt scotch. The like smokier. What's that? Thank you. I like Brooks's glass. But let's see your glass, Brooks. Mm. I, I got the new ones this week that are stemless, so I don't have to worry about knocking it over as much. That's yeah, these are not these are pretty unwieldy, but I do like them too. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. That's okay. Um, so the Libertini is two ounces of single malt scotch. Um, if you've got a smokier variety, that's excellent. Go for the smokier, the better. Um, three quarters of an ounce of black cherry juice, two dashes of Woodford Reserve, spiced cherry bitters, garnished with a cherry. We don't have the cherry. I don't know. Oh, it's no. Oh, the, no. Cherry. It's, the cherry's in there, honey. It is? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's deep down in there. She, she let it, she's letting it marinate. It's marinating. Yeah, the, the cherry is deep. <laughs> The cherry is deep down in there. Were you able to? I love that your camera actually like changed focus for your glass. Isn't that we fantastic? Yeah, no, that's that's quality shit right there. Yeah, so um, we keep upgrading the the studio, and and it just it's just having uh, some some great effects. Do you um? Did, were you guys able to find those spiced cherry bitters? Uh, the, I just use the uh, aromatic bitters. Yeah. Or angostura bitters. Yeah. Yeah. So those are really yeah. good too. Uh, but just for you guys, anyone out there listening, and, and I, I'm not even really trying to, I'm not being paid by Woodford to do this, but Publix usually carries them. They're spicy cherry bitters. They are phenomenal. They're like usually 10 bucks. I keep finding them on clearance for like two ninety nine, and just I've bought like three of them now, and they, they're good in anything. You want a little slight cherry flavor too, so those are awesome. And nice. then my other, uh, what, uh, what scotch did you guys go with? I used bourbon. Oh, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I went smoky. I went... Um, I went uh, Johnny Walker Double Black, which is a really smoky Ooh, scotch. Yeah. And I, put, I had a little bit of, um, of Glenfiddich uh, Fire and Cane, which is a nice one. It's made with like brown sugar and a little smoke as well. So it kind nice. of mixed it too. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a great cocktail. It's, it's nice and smooth. It's got a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, but since we are going to be having Chase Oliver join us today uh, to discuss the future of libertarian politics, as well as his run for John Lewis's seat in the 5th Congressional District of Georgia, we uh, we aptly named our cocktail of the day the Libertini. Libertini. Well, that, that's why I was using bourbon, because it's American. Uh, I, went, I, I, I went with scotch because I think of the... I think of the Libertarian Party as, uh, you know, a little smoky, but still for everybody with that cherry in there. I like nice. it. All 
All right, so let's talk about current events. We've got a lot going on in the world today. Um, we're going to hit on, and I know you've got some uh, current events that you want to hit on, Brooks, and some other, some lighter topics to keep us a little bit I chill. In, in the state of 2020, it's been a rough year, folks. It was actually funny because it's our kid's birthday today, and Kristen posted, or actually Facebook shared a memory with me of last year on their birthday, and I was going, oh my God, that feels like 10 years ago. Oh, it's incredible. 2020 has been so long and so emotional that it's been very, very difficult to uh, uh, stay above water, to be quite honest with you. Well, and it certainly reiterates the time flies while you're having fun uh, concept because, yeah, like you said, every month has been, you know, a year <laughs> in the past. This is it's, it's really insane. I've never felt I've never felt a year both go by so swiftly and feel like dra- it's dragging its ass the whole time. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last year, have we been there three times now or twice? We go to this, like, we go off season to this podunk, like falling down giant resort in Myrtle beach, um, where they still try to like keep it fun. Like out by the pool, they do like blind dancing contests. It's hilarious. It sounds fun. Yeah, that's what we're like, like, but like in the same way, in the same way that Daytona Beach still wants to pretend like they're the spring break hotspot, like that same kind of yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about the DNC. Let's talk about the uh, the convention, uh, the virtual convention, completely virtual convention this year. Um, I didn't actually. I I I watched a few highlights. I watched the Obama speech, um, and I watched a few other highlights. I watched AOC, um, but I didn't watch the entire convention. I've never been one for pep rallies like i i remember in school in high school i would always i would never go to the pep rallies <laughs> i just ignored all of that sort of stuff completely and conventions have always seemed like that to me they seem like pep rallies what, what about you guys so i think pep rallies are like really kind i think of them as like a circle <laughs> jerk i mean it's what it is like hey let's all stand around and touch each other because we're all buddies like it's it's such a in my mind, I've never been interested in the conventions because, honestly, by the time the conventions hit, the vast majority of the main decisions are made. Like, if the conventions right. occurred in June, they might have some actual weight or, or, or some, real, some real gravitas to them, but they just don't at this point. Now it's like, oh, congratulations. Let me, uh, you know, just... Yeah. Wipe, wipe that butt for you now that you're going to be our leader. Like it's, it's, right. I think it's just... Yeah, I refuse to watch it. I refuse and, to watch it. And... and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, my disappointment in the in the Democratic Party this year, it could only be surmounted by my disappointment with the Republican Party. Uh, I mean, I just I really think I, I really I mean, this is a perfect time to talk about libertarianism or any other party. I'll take yeah. anything at this point. You know, like I, I just I really think what we're doing here is uh, it's a bunch of losers congratulating each other. Yeah. Yes, I, I, yes exactly. But um, what's and, Sorry, go ahead, Kristen. Go for it. No, I, I heard the strong point made today that nobody said anything. No one had anything of substance to say. It was all about how Biden's compassionate and Biden's nice and Biden's sweet and Biden's wonderful and la, 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 la. Not Biden's going to help you pay your rent. Biden's going to help you get health care. Biden's oh, not going to put you in jail for smoking weed, which are all the things that all the American people want. Absolutely right. great point, Kristen. And, you know, we knew he was compassionate. Because if I meet Joe Biden, he's going to touch the back of my neck and blow in my ear. I get it, you know, and I'm okay with it. I'm into Um, that. Not everyone is, but I'm fine with that. But as you said a moment ago, that the only thing um, worse than the DNC is the GOP. 
because I'm actually refusing. I'm refusing to call them the grand old party from now on. You have got to be kidding me with their speaker lineup. Like I get, I get your point, Kristen. I get the fact that the DNC, you know, is all about hope and, you know, they're playing on this playbook of Barack Obama, hope and change. And, you know, but all they really did was, was slam, you know, they, they, they continue to swing to, the right. I mean, you look at the amount of GOP people who are supporting, who were speaking at the DNC versus, right, um, you, right. you know, the progressives who weren't really allowed to speak. Um, you didn't see Tulsi Gabbard there. She got actual delegates. She got actual delegates. She wasn't allowed to speak at the DNC. But worse, the GOP is worse. If you look. Well, well hold on, you, hold on. Let me be very clear. Kid yeah, Rock is a motherfucking icon. Kid Rock is a mother fucking. No, no. Well, and to no. be fair, that's the only reason I would have watched the Democratic was because I would have liked to watch the chicks perform. But oh, otherwise, and they are indeed the chicks. So, real quick, yeah. Kristen, why don't you explain that? Because I think I don't know if everyone's heard this yet. Oh, most people know, right? What, 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 what were they labeled? Traitors? I can't even go into all Tra- Traitors to the crown. But yeah, what, I listened so to actually our friend who's going to be on next week's Alicia's story about how somehow at Thanksgiving, she didn't even mean to get into the conversation, but she was getting yelled at by an uncle about the Dixie Chicks and Obama and all rolled into the same ball somehow. <laughs> So, so yes, so, so what Christians refer the chicks are indeed the Dixie chicks, the former Dixie chicks. They have decided uh, Dixie is no longer for them. Uh, I have, I'm not going to say that. Um, Their new album is absolutely fantastic. I, I really like the only song yes, I've heard, my, and, it, and it may not even be, is that the one about the boyfriend who took her boat or husband or whatever? Oh, yes, yes. That's her fucking hilarious. The, um, oh my God, what's her name? Oh my God, it's a play on words. Um... I'll think of it. Oh, okay. it's so hilarious. But real, really funny song. And and I'm not, like, I've never been a huge, like, I, I dabble in country, don't listen to a ton of it. Typically don't really tend to listen to a lot of female country. It's not intentional. It just kind of happens. Like, I love Reba, and I absolutely love Dolly. But, like, I just don't listen to a ton of other female country. But the the chicks uh, yeah. have, have some incredible songs. In fact, uh, what is it? Is it Travel and Soldier? That's the Dixie Chicks, right? I believe so. I'm well, listen. Not- if you ever if you ever want to sit at home and cry for like six minutes, Runaway Soldier or uh, Traveling Soldiers, phenomenal way to do I rem- that. I remembered the name of the boat. It's it was named the Natalis. Her name is Natalie. It is the, the, the Natalis her, instead uh, of the Nautilus. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. And her husband was just fucking people on it. So. Uh, nice. Earl, Earl had to die. Was a great song. Earl had to <laughs> goodbye, die. Goodbye, goodbye, Earl. Yes, goodbye, Earl. Earl. Yes. Fantastic. And the uh, and the um, me first in the Gimme Gimme's punk rock cover of Goodbye Earl is one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. Oh, I it's phenomenal. It. It's only like two minutes long because they just blaze through it, punk rock style, and it's so cool. All right. Uh, but but let's, back so to, the, my, back yeah, to the RNC. Who are the other, so who are the other guests, Mike? Who are the other guests? Um, the guests at the RNC are going to be the St. Louis couple who came out on their front lawn and pointed their guns at the BLM protesters who supposedly broke down their fence, which there's no evidence of until after the fact. Who are both um, lawyers who make a career out of suing people. They are they are basically the Westboro Baptist Church as a couple. And then on top of that, I don't know what their real names are, but they will forever be known as Karen and Terry, just because that's what I've decided to call them. 
uh, unreal. Um, the, the the young boy who was wearing the MAGA hat, who was protesting, or not protesting. And and by the way, I just want to step back for a second on that kid. So for those of you who don't know, it was, uh, I believe, 2017 or maybe 2016, when a group of kids were um, on a field trip. and they I think it was 2018. Was it 2018? I think so. They, they, they bought a bunch of MAGA hats, and they thought they were cool. And they put on their MAGA hats, and they went, and they stumbled upon a group of Native Americans who were chanting. And one of the kids came up and just started, like, smirking at this Native American. And I, I can't remember which network news organization completely slandered this kid, saying that he was just, like, ab- you know, absolutely MAGA and anti. And all these people came well, out trying to dox it. The, the kids were part of a religious school. If yeah. I remember they were, they were part of a religious school and they were on vacation and one of them, you know, gotten, gotten kind of the face and, you know, it was a, it was a moment where it, it wasn't actually that big of a deal, but the media just spun it like crazy left Uber left wing people wanted to dox this kid. I mean, it was really fucking bad. They ended up suing the network and, and winning. So they're bringing this kid to the convention, but it just speaks to the weak um yeah I, the 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 GOP and the RNC under Donald Trump is turning into this ugly shit show that I don't I don't uh, it's just well, it's so, bizarre and frustrating so a you're I think you're absolutely right b at the end of the day I mean don't fuck with native americans we've done enough and these guys and this guy was like 80 and literally put up with this kid's shit and didn't do anything about it and there was actually like if I'm not mistaken there were some headlines that had tried to spin it where the Native Americans were going after and attacking the kids in the MAGA hats, which is just absolute bullshit. But let's continue. Let's listen to the rest of this incredible guest list before Um, uh, we comment on it. Yes. So, so the group is, or the, the, uh, Mike, your internal temperature is too high. Uh Oh, Uh -oh. did I lose it? Am I gone? You are stripes. Yeah. You are the, the public broadcasting service. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to kill that camera for a moment. And we know how that works. Camera. Um, we'll come back to the main camera here in a minute, but, uh, Mark and Patricia McClowski is the St. Louis couple. No, their Um, names are Karen and Terry. That's all we'll ever know. (laughs) I refuse to acknowledge them as human beings. Um, Nick Sandman is the high school student criticized after a video showing him staring at Nathan Phillips, a Native American man during a 19 or 2019 demonstration formed, uh, Planned Parenthood director and anti-abortion activist, Abby Johnson and Andrew Pollack. Uh, a father of a student killed at Parkland High School shooting in 2018. Pollock is also a gun rights activist. You've also got oh Alex Johnson. The yeah, it's it's it, it gets it's just on and on. I'm just I'm just surprised Kanye's not going to be there. I'm, I'm, that's uh, the only well, thing. I'm... That's gross. Um, <laughs> I, I like I, again. He's lost human status in my mind because of all this bullshit. Um, so the uh, he, he's Brooks. He's mentally ill. I mean, I and he is, and I, he is, and, and I and I do to a degree feel. And I'll be honest with you. Years ago, I was a huge Kanye fan. Like when he first came out, he was one of my favorite artists. I think that when his mom passed away, I really do think some some unfortunate circumstance of that was he has become mentally ill. I mean, he married well, I mean, Kim Kardashian, and that's enough evidence to put anyone in an asylum. It's true of from what he's diagnosed with, if he is diagnosed as bipolar, I, severe life events, tragic life events are supposed to set that chemical oh, and yeah. off. So with the passing of his mother, that would make sense. And, and, it, and it makes sense. And, and I, feel, I do to a degree feel for him. But when you have that much influence and that much clout, I mean, someone's got it. You've got to have a handler that can just 
keep you in your place, you know, keep you from, from stirring the pot and bring a, a negative attention to yourself, even, you know, from a, from a health perspective. Yeah, they tried to do that with uh, Britney Spears, and there's a whole oh, free goodness. Britney movement happening <laughs> now. The poor girl. Yeah, she's trying to get her dad off of the. Um, yeah. What is it? Yeah. Her. It's not her will, but something similar. Oh, no, yeah. it's a it's a proprietor. I, I can't remember the legality, but from what I read of it, um, it's um, a type of conservatorship that they usually only allow the children of adults with extreme Alzheimer's. Gotcha, like, gotcha. <laughs> okay. So she's basically being treated as an Alzheimer slash dementia patient. Yeah. And, oh, that's yeah. a terrible, yeah. And conservatorship is in general, when it's done, it's usually because someone just can't take care of themselves. Right. So, uh, and actually Alice and I were talking about the other day, we both uh, were in the agreement that I think Britney Spears has been one of the most mistreated celebrities in the history, at least by, yeah. by her people, not by her fan group, but by, like she's never had anyone around her to give her the support she ever needed. And that's really sad, you know? Well, yeah. No, and from and, what I understand, they massacred her voice from the beginning. So uh, yeah, they forced her to sing in a different range. And Yeah, Kristen and I went back and listened to her, some of her early stuff. And her vocal range is just absolutely incredible. And she was, you know, when she entered the music industry, they really wanted to separate her from, who was it? Uh, Christina Aguilera. Christina Aguilera. So they actually, they they put her in a very different genre and they've, they just kind of, they, they've, yeah. she's been fucked with by the music industry, like really, really bad. Yeah. And that sucks. You know, but in all fairness, who the hell's going to compete with Christina Aguilera for vocal range? I mean, that's, she's that's got a right. hell of a voice on her. And here's, here's my random trivia question right now while we're on this topic for you. So uh, a lot of people would say that Mariah Carey probably has the most expansive vocal range of anyone living, but that's not true. Do you guys remember? In fact, I think I've asked this as a trivia question when you guys were, were uh, some, some beautiful contestants of mine. Yeah, the name of the note, and I still can't remember. Oh, what no, is. not the note, but do you remember who the only living singer with a larger vocal range than Mariah Carey is? Oh. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's a male. So Luciano Pavarotti? <laughs> did I say that correct? You did, yeah. But no, it's uh, it's it's Axl Rose. Wow. Wow. Axl Rose here. from Guns N' Roses, yeah. And but if you go back and listen to it, I mean, you look at the high notes from from Welcome to the Jungle and you look at even just him talking, it's a tremendous vocal range. Uh, but back back to the RT, I mean, I think I think what what we see here, what we're seeing here is a very intentional panel to continue to create galvanization between people, piss a bunch of people off. I mean, that has been the script over and over and over again. I mean, you're looking at a lineup for the Jerry Springer show, not for a national party's convention. Right. But this is, this is the GOP under Donald Trump, right? This is not, this is not, this has not happened before. And it's turning into a Jerry Springer type phenomenon. I mean, that's what happens when you have a a fucking reality TV show as your, as your president or reality, reality TV host. And you look at the Republicans who are lining up to back Biden. You've got John Kasich. You've got uh, Christine Todd, Republican governor of New Jersey. You've got former Hewlett Packard CEO Meg Whitman, former New York Republican uh, Representative Susan Molinari, former senior Trump administration official Miles Taylor, former Secretary of State Colin Powell, the Lincoln Project. All these people are stepping up to back Biden because there's this kind of 
and they're they're the never Trumpers are moving back. They're pushing back and saying this is we're turning into the party of Jerry Springer. And Michael Moore was talking about this the other day that maybe it's time that the Republican Party is dismantled. Maybe it's time that the Democratic Party splits into two parties and we actually have a progressive wing and we and then you've got an actual respectable democratic light republicanism that is the Democratic Party today who keeps pushing pushing back the progressives. You look at what NBC did to AOC the other day. Did you guys see this? Yeah, where they they tried to trounce her for her um, for her roll call for for Bernie. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? So yeah. So, which, so which, what that does is all they're doing is taking advantage of the lack of knowledge of the layman and how the conventions work, and they're trying to parlay that into a headline. Correct. That's exactly right. But they tried to say it was like a 1 a.m. tweet by NBC. And for those of you who don't know, if you get more than 300 delegates, then somebody at the national convention has to second you. I second so-and-so. So they asked AOC to second him. AOC has backed Biden. She is backing Biden. Yeah. But she seconded uh, Bernie Sanders in her one minute that they gave her. And NBC News at 1 a.m. in the morning that night says – Makes this big thing. I, I'll, I'll find the. Uh, I've got it here somewhere. But basically, they the, say the clips. The oh, here, clip, here, yeah. it is, here it is. Here it is. Okay. Here it is. Um, in one of the shortest speeches of the DNC, Republican Ocasio, Republican Ocasio Cortez didn't. Or excuse me, Representative Ocasio Cortez did not endorse Biden. I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont for President of the United States. They tried to turn this into a divisive, right. and it it was not divisive. Oh, this is pure. This is like pro policy of the DNC. This was supposed to happen. The DNC will do anything they can to smear her. They'll do anything they can to. It wasn't the DNC. No, I don't think the DNC. Yeah, I just, I just think, no, here's the thing. And I don't even think that's the DNC at all. What it really is, is there's about five or six, no, maybe 10 politicians that get headlines, period, right? So the, you've got the, the, the nasty woman trio, right? Of, Ohan or not? What's her last name? Ohan. Who? I'm not Cortez? positive. Uh, Imran. Imran Ohan. I can't. I'm, I'm screwing sure. her name up. I'll find. Oh it. yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember her name at the moment. Yeah. Uh, AOC, and then Tulsi Gabbard. Those are like the three. Um. Uh, but them, and then obviously Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. That's the left, and as far as anyone's really paying attention to it, and then the right—you've pretty much got anyone that's part of the cabinet: Mitch McConnell, um, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, and the rest of the. But that, they just want headlines, and it's and they, what they like I said—they tried to parlay something that was just just process. It was procedural. Yeah. And turn it into to a headline. Into a controversy. Into a headline. Yeah, it's just it's obscene. And she came back, and she was furious. Um, she came back and said. Uh, if you were confused, no worries. Convention rules require roll call and nominations of every candidate that passes the delegate threshold. I was asked to second the nomination for Senator Sanders for roll call. I extend my deepest congratulations to add Joe Biden. Let's go win in November. Like, there's no fucking headline here. Like, there's nothing. And so Chase, our soon-to-be guest, just corrected me. Thank you. Ilhan Omar. I was close, but way too far off to, to be trying to say her name. So yeah. Ilhan Omar is who, yeah. is who I was trying to reference. Um, yeah. uh, and then Allison says it's AOC, Hillary, and Kamala. Uh, no, so and, and Allison's right. Those, those other two are definitely in the news, but the three I was talking about were uh, congressional delegates. And it wasn't just Kamala this time. It was uh, I think it was Tulsi Gabbard was the third. 
when uh, Trump did his last night. Because Kamala's an extremely nasty woman, not just a regular nasty right, woman. Right, right, right. But that's so weak. Trump is like I'm, 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 I'm shocked at how weak Sleepy Joe Biden and extremely nasty woman Kamala Harris. Like that. This is not the Trump we know and hate. Well, listen, you have a stroke and then try to talk shit about people. <laughs> This has been the ongoing every single week. If you do not hear Brooks talk about how Trump had a stroke, but nobody talked about it, um, you will hear it every single week. It's, 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 it's going to come out because when it happened, when it gets acknowledged, finally, I, I'm like, I'm going to cash in on nothing, but I will at least get like the I told you so. Uh, Brooks and I also have a side bet going. No, about- we, can't, we can't share this yet. I don't want to share this yet. You're going to jinx it because I'm going to win and you're going to jinx it. No, I'm talking about it. This is this is, this is fodder right, because fine, 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 fine. because Brooks and I have a side bet going that when Trump leaves office, whether it's in 2021 or 2025, he is going to go to jail. And I I do not think that's ever going to happen. Like I don't think a president can go to jail. I think there is a get out of jail free card that comes with the presidency. Period. I remember when Rumsfeld and Bush and we were and and uh, Condoleezza Rice and um, what, uh, Warren Chief, what's his name? Anyway, uh, I thought the they were. All, I thought they were all going to do the perp walk. None of them did the what's perp his walk. Name? It doesn't what's happen. Rummy Rumsfeld? Rumsfeld. No, no, no. What's the name of the guy who wrote the song? Oh, there's a guy who wrote a song uh, called uh, "I Want to Watch Him Do the Perp Walk." His name is Jim yeah. Hindi, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic song if you've ever heard of it. But uh, Allison agrees with me. She doesn't believe he's going to jail. What about now you guys it, out keep, there? Now keep in mind, though, you adjusted. You adjusted the uh, statement of the bet, so it's if he gets indicted. Yes, I did. I said, I said, I will pay you twice as much as you have to pay me, even if he gets indicted. That's how confident I am that this is not going to happen. I I really think that if, especially if he loses this election, I think you're going to see the, the state, uh, the state attorney for New York go after him. And it may not even be anything involving the shit he did while president. Wait, that's what I was between, wondering. The things between involving the, the presidency or any like, of the other shady shit he said. Literally, they accused, they accused the Clinton Foundation of being a slush fund for, for the Clintons for a long time. And he literally is not allowed to run a non-profit now because, <laughs> because of what he said. Like, there's no way, and I'm not saying like he's going. They're gonna swear in the next president, and there's gonna be dudes waiting there with cuffs. But right. I'm, I am fairly certain that there will be someone somewhere who indicts him on charges. And then yeah, here's the thing, though, just like Bannon right now, and that'll be something I'm sure we'll we'll transition to in a minute here. But just like Bannon now, now that he's indicted for what he's indicted for, I'm just waiting to see the influx of charges that come right. uh, on top of this. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, Steve Bannon was arrested this week. Uh, former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon was arrested on charges of defrauding hundreds of thousands of donors through his We Build the Wall fundraising campaign. And so where was where was he when he got arrested? He was on a yacht. On an 80-foot yacht. That's fucking yeah. <laughs> That didn't belong to him. It wasn't Epstein's, to... though, so I'm kind of wasn't, surprised. Wasn't Epstein's yacht. Bannon and three others were indicted in federal investigation in the Southern District of New York. Prosecutors alleged the four defrauders, the four, the four defrauded donors by raising more than $25 million to build a wall along the southern border of the United States, but some of the money, but some of that money was used for personal gain. 
get and and on the GoFundMe it said one hundred percent of profits will go. And they interviewed um, or they asked Trump about this, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not. I I, I didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't know Bannon was involved." Uh, involved. Never met him. Never met him. Don't and, know. Uh, so, so Trump has failed the cognitive test uh, when asked if uh, he remembers Steve Bannon, which he apparently no longer does. Um, he wishes him well. Do you know what the? <laughs> he wishes him well. <laughs> Do you know what the incredible, uh, the incredible statistic that that now makes uh, Steve Bannon getting arrested? We get, should have like a big pop up jackpot winner. Uh, it now, it now means no. that every person who served as a campaign manager for Donald Trump has been indicted for something. Well, wow. since you since you bring that up, why don't why, what since you bring that up, why don't we go through the list of people who have been sentenced that have been surrounding <laughs> Trump since day one? Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer, Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, Richard Pinedo, Alex Van Dezwan, Roger Stone, who he recently pardoned, and Rick Gates. Michael Flynn is still awaiting sentence. Um, we have charges against thirteen Russian nationals, three entities, twelve Russian military intel officers, and Konstantin Kilimnik. So, so uh, I was having this conversation with um, with my beautiful wife, Allison. And actually, just real quick aside, but uh, early happy birthday to you, my love. I know you're not quite out of work. It's yet, Allison's birthday. It will happy be on. It will be on Sunday. So happy, happy birthday, birthday, Allison! Um, but we were having this conversation. So, and I thought I knew this, but then I tried to research and I couldn't find anything really one way or the other. So Trump pardons all these assholes, and then turns around. And say I'm right, gets indicted and found guilty of charges. Oh. Are his pardons retroactively negated? Negated because you, he should not have been a sitting president at the time due to that. So is he? Do we have to round uh, all these guys back up? I don't know. I don't know. I have no yeah, idea. I tried I, to find some research, some some details on this. Obviously, it is a circumstance that would have no legal precedent. So, yeah, it would have to be re, or it, ha- we, it would have to be litigated for the first time, right? And it, and it still blows my mind that presidential pardons can have anything to do with anyone that someone's ever done business or had personal relationship with. I mean, that should be a conflict of interest from the beginning. I agree. I, so I, it's, it's just it's mind blowing. It's a shit show. Do you have anything fun to share with us? I please? have a lot of fun stuff to share with you guys. <laughs> uh, we need some it. of it. We need it. I some have a fun it. thing too. Well, kind you, of. You start. You start, Kirsten. Okay. You start. Um, so earlier this week, I guess Alex Jones got really upset because his wife tried to go to a state park in Texas. Where Info, like, Info Wars, Alex Jones? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she came home and told him because now you have to have a reservation, you know, so they can make sure and social distance and right. blah, blah, blah. So he went to the park with a megaphone and started yelling at all the teenage lifeguards. For what? Saying what? For, for um, being uh, that this was illegal and it was against the Constitution and these are parks that belong to the public and you can't deprive people of their... And, and so his wife right. was there at the time and he went with a megaphone and just started yelling at them? Is that I think he went back. His wife was probably embarrassed to go back with him. Oh, well, I can't believe she hasn't divorced him. I mean, it blows <laughs> my mind. Oh, is this his new wife? Is this, is he have a new yeah, wife? Yeah, I thought, I thought she left him after he got kicked off of YouTube. She absolutely did. Yeah. I'm surprised he wasn't because if, if InfoWars were still around, he would be selling uh, COVID-19 pills that save you from... What a chair. Oliander? <laughs> Probably. Oh, what a, what a Oleander. 
Okay. Did you guys All hear right. about this? Did you guys hear no, about No, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You, you go. We'll talk about Oleander. I don't even no, let's, want to talk about it. No, let's talk, talk <laughs> to the Oleander thing, and then I'll, I've got, I'll try to cheer us up a little bit. So, so who was it, Kristen? Do you, have, do you have a little more intel on this? It's about- the pillow guy. Remember the guy? It's on- the pillow, who is yeah, also at the fucking RNC. Yes, yeah. the pillow guy is also speaking at the about RNC. how, like, I was a loser when I was a crack addict or something. Yes. And that's then what it was. Okay, that's what it was. Allison brought, showed me the list, and I was like, the My Pillow guy, I was like, there's something wrong with him. I don't remember if he's a pedophile or what, but there's something fucking wrong with this guy. That's right, he was a crack addict, and he, like, lived under a bridge and shit before he started My Pillow. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and I'm not I'm not going to hate on a guy who turns his life around, Brooks. No, go for it. Right. Well, I'm not, but he's clearly still a little bit woo. Yeah, it's a little woo. Oh, but oh, I mean he's he's a lot want want. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm all about a success story. Rags to riches and, you know, crack to powder coke. My all about <laughs> it, okay? But But like I I literally I saw Gupta talking Gupta is that Sanjay Gupta is that how you pronounce no. his name? No, Sanjay Gupta. I heard him talking about it. On CNN, I think, and he was like, "Okay, there are lots of things that you can take that are supplements, and you know, you you figure maybe it'll help or whatever." He's like, "This is not that. This is fucking dangerous. Like, you will kill yourself. It's a poison that people kill people with. Do so, not so, take it." So, so we're talking about oleander, the the plant or the the plant. The plant. You can use the plant or, or the flower or the seed. Flower. It's all very poisonous. Well, I yeah, take my hemlock not, every morning. So, you know, so the, chi- the chief executive of MyPillow, a Trump donor, claims oleander is a miracle cure for COVID-19, but no studies have shown it to be safe or effective, and the shrub is derived from it. The shrub it's derived from is poisonous. So this is the this is another person speaking at the RNC this year. M- my pillow, dude, and it's funny because Kristen and I have been trying to do a better job of watching. Uh, multiple media sources, so we want to know what what's going on on Fox News. We want to know what's going on, on MSNBC. It's all fucking insane. And well, hey, you guys, you guys are braver and, than I am. And he he has commercials on Fox News that come on, and he, he's pitching his book and talking about how Jesus saved him and brought him from being a crack addict. To, and and that's fine, like whatever, like that's do great, your thing, yeah, do your thing. Um, but there there are several screws loose with this guy. I was watching it like a deer caught in headlights. I was. What what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, so so my, my disclaimer is: don't listen to what I'm about to say. But here's an analogy: uh, if you don't want to feel the symptoms of COVID nineteen, go eat all the angel trumpets in your backyard, <laughs> and you you will feel no symptoms from COVID nineteen. You, you and, won't indeed. And if you guys don't realize, and you have angel trumpets in your backyard, they are uh, very very effective hallucinogens. Uh, Angel trumpets. Yeah. Yes, we had a we had a friend who is he's he works at. He, Don't give up too much. We have a friend. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have a friend yeah. who is a a uh, he owns a business and somebody. This was before he actually owned his own business, but he was working at uh, Disney and he was helping to develop the landscapes at uh, Animal Kingdom. And we're going to get his, sued by Disney now. I know that's why I was like, this is not details. One of his, one of, one of these people try, what did he try to eat a bunch of one them? One of his employees knew that it was hallucinogenic. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, you know, Disney's got some, got a, got a crazy history of psychedelics as well. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So don't, don't eat your oleander. So here's one of my, here's my, one of my fun ones. And I guess I say this is, I say this is, uh, fun and enjoyable but it's actually 
uh, an indictment of just how bad the world is, but it's at least humorous. So, okay. All right. Humor so, is required. So the English language has slowly lost its effective use of the apostrophe. Uh, mm. Most people are very bad at using the apostrophe. And in 2001, there was a journalist named John Richards who created the, uh, the foundation for what was it actually called? It was the apostrophe protection foundation. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Last year, after everything that has happened over the past 19 years, uh, Richard, uh, John Richards decided to close the foundation. Uh, and he said that the ignorance and laziness of present modern times have won and the apostrophe has failed. <laughs> so thank you. You so, fucks. So, so let, me ask, let, let me, let me ask you this, Brooks. What, it, what is the most common misuse of the apostrophe? Is it, is it to pluralize a noun? Is that the, is that the most common it, misuse? It is. Yes, it's, it's, a, it, it's, yeah, I think that's probably a very common one. The other one is when people, yeah, when people don't, when they want to pluralize and they use an apostrophe instead right. of realizing that the only time you use an apostrophe with a noun is to show possession. Right. right. Yeah, I have and, and, a t-shirt that says you had me at the proper use of your. Yeah. That's a good one. There's a, there's a, I'm a, I wouldn't call myself a grammar Nazi, but I'm easily aroused by good uh, and complex grammar. Yeah, I think another part of it is people are so amped up and so emotional when it comes to conversations online that they're very fast and they just they're, that's true. They're trying to move through their emotions so quickly, and so their grammar is not something at the forefront. But that's I true too. Find, I actually find that if you take a moment and just take a breath, and like one of the things I hate is when people posts online and they'll just run like one not even just one huge run on sentence but one huge run on paragraph like i'm a online i'm like a two three sentence max paragraph type of person so if i i I want i want a point a point a point and i want it separated by a space and then i'll go back and actually check my grammar and and shit like that if you go back and check go ahead kristen i think we forget that we typically access social media on our computers and i think the majority of people are accessing it on their phone almost always mobile yeah that's true but that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. I think it's I think it's a shitty one because honestly, one of the easy easy character notes for me is when I meet someone or I first start interacting with someone, particularly through text message or email. It, it, I'm not saying it needs to be perfect. I'm not looking for like APA cited emails to be sent my way. But at the right. end of the day, like if, if you are not even going to put the effort in to try to communicate like harmoniously in the English language, you've already failed shit test number one. Right. right. Yeah. The right. other thing that I'll say, and I think this is up oh, internal temp to my mic. Hot again, honey. Oh, um, America. The other, uh, the other thing that America. I find, and it's actually probably really good because I can be a little bit, uh, a, I can be a little bit zealotous myself. Is if I proofread what I wrote for grammar, not even for content, but for grammar. By the time I finish proofreading it for grammar. I usually just delete the whole thing and go, you know what? I'm not even going to do this. This is just I've not definitely worth done that before. It's not even worth the effort because no matter what I say, the other person's not going to listen. You know, it's just, it's, it's pointless. Right. And, and I, and I understand like, listen, I know that Mike, Mike gets his rocks off having uh, interweb fights with people. And that's, that's cool true. because, that's fair. because it's, it's a hobby for you. But me, no, I like, I started and next thing, like two messages in I'm like, Oh God, can we just like, meet in person somewhere and fight right. like they'd be a lot more effective <laughs> or at least have a beer and communicate in a way that allows both people to, to well, listen to that afterwards we can fight and then we can sit down and have a beer like i don't understand why those are mutually exclusive from each other right right great point 
Oh God. Yeah. It's rough out there. It's rough. People, people are angry. Well, and I think, and I think that's interesting that we have um, Chase coming on today because one of the things that you know he's really focusing on is taking action, right? So, so many of us, you know, here we are in our rooms and we're having these conversations. That's important, um, but at the same time taking action is really important. And, and so he's actually, for those of you just joining us, Chase is uh, a libertarian and he is actually running for office in Georgia. He's running for John Lewis's seat in the fifth congressional district in Georgia um, as a libertarian. And so I actually, you know, went back and um, started re- refreshing, re- uh, brushing up on my uh, understanding of libertarianism. Cause it's been a while. Actually, I, I voted for Gary Johnson and, uh, 2012, voted for Obama in 2008, voted for Gary Johnson in 2012. Um, because I was, uh, you know, even in 2012, I was frustrated with the Democratic Party. I was frustrated with not seeing the things that I, I, I wanted to see out of um, out of that party. And so, and so I voted Libertarian then, and I did some research then. But, you know, I didn't realize that Libertarianism was such a baby um, when it comes to parties. I think it was 1971. That's correct, uh, yeah. That it was, well, here uh, in the States, here in the States, right? Ah, right, because because Great Britain has a history with libertarianism, right? And even more so. I mean, if you actually like, I, I did. I, I didn't do as deep of a read through as I would have liked to. But libertarianism as a concept goes back to, to the classics, even to a degree. Right. Uh, here's a here's a quick uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with libertarianism who want to know a little bit about what it is um, beyond Ron Swanson beyond Ron Swanson <laughs> what do you need beyond Ron Swanson <laughs> like what's beyond like there's like, there's if you if you perfect. need if you did, if you need a stamp like approved by Ron Swanson that's all you need. Right. Um, Libertarian Party is the political party in the United States that promotes civil liberties, non-interventionism, laissez-faire capitalism, and limiting the size and scope of government. The part, and this is where I think a lot of people get confused with libertarianism being a conservative party because they do they do they do want to limit the scope of government, but that's that's a conservative principle within the Libertarian Party. And I think that's right. important for people to recognize. Um, Lizzie Fair Capitalism and Limiting the Scope of Government. The party was conceived in August 1971 at meetings in the home of David F. Nolan in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and was officially formed in uh, on December 11, 1971 in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The founding of the party was prompted in part due to concerns about the Nixon administration, the Vietnam War yep. conscription, and the introduction of fiat money. And I thought that was really interesting for those who, who just think libertarian is a conservative party like they were after the vietnam war they're at you know they were angry about the vietnam war they're mm-hmm. angry about richard nixon's republican party and you know they wanted to you know really get clear on creating a new party that was that was outside of the scope of what was do you want to do time. you want to describe for everyone what fiat money is fiat money is money no longer on the gold standard right yeah it's it's a it's money that has representative value or sorry does not have representative value it has given value only right right so like even even chuck e cheese tickets probably have more non-fiat premise than the american dollar only in the sense that because they're backed by they're backed by you know cheese eating muppets right or spider rings spider rings and slappy hands (laughs) obviously the party generally promotes classic liberalism in contrast to the Democratic Party's modern liberalism and progressivism and the Republican Party's conservatism. So, so when, we, when we talk about classic versus 
they didn't say neoliberalism, did they? Is that what they said? Uh, well, no, they said modern and modern. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so the difference there being being that classic liberalism is basically live and let live, let everyone do their own thing, don't tell anyone what to do, stay out of everyone's fucking business. And then modern liberalism is more let's pave the way, let's you know create equity instead of equality in certain areas, and let's prop certain groups up, which isn't always a bad thing at all, no. but. But when the key to, particularly from a libertarian viewpoint, is reducing budget and not spending that money, small government on that sense, right? There, there's yeah. a difference between the progressive movement and, and libertarians. Yeah, I, I just took a quiz the other day, a, a dumb, you know, one of these dumb quizzes that like tells you where you are. So some BuzzFeed shit. So basically, it's um, it's authoritarian, libertarian, and then left, right. So mm. I landed, I landed on the very, I landed on the libertarian leftist. So I would be I would be a classic liberal mixed with a progressive liberal, right? So I've I've got I'm interested in equity. I am interested in um, obviously equality, but that's classic liberalism. Um, but I'm very interested in, in in figuring out how to how to make things more equitable. But now that doesn't mean I necessarily think that's the government's job because I do fall in that more libertarian sure. perspective. Sure. But I think there are aspects of the government that are responsible for ensuring. Uh, that equity, that's my opinion. Um, and, may have a very different opinion. And, and so I think you bring up an excellent point. One of the things to consider, though, is that just because we think that there uh, needs to be equity of some sort doesn't necessarily mean, you, you said you think it's important for the government to ensure it, but that doesn't necessarily mean the government needs to provide it. So one of the big ah, things... Ah, that's a that, fantastic point. ...that the Libertarian Party is a big believer in is supporting nonprofits and other organizations to help provide that, but not having the government do it directly. Fantastic point. Right, right. Um, Just to go a little deeper on classic liberalism is a political ideology and branch of liberalism which advocates civil liberties under the rule of law with emphasis on economic freedom. Closely related to economic liberalism, it developed in the early 19th century, building on ideas from previous century as a response to urbanization and to the Industrial Revolution in Europe and North America. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, like I, you know, I, I find myself to be, and I really appreciate that point, Brooks. I think that's a that's a really powerful point. Providing versus ensuring, I think, are two very different things. And you and you know, the progressive agenda, um, you know, in politics today, very much is about providing um, as opposed to ensuring. I agree. Yeah, I think that that's a huge difference there. And I saw in our chat that Chase gave me a yas, so I'm quite happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Should we, uh, shall we bring Chase in? Are you, are you with us, Chase? Yeah, bring Chase in. I've got a couple more little tidbits before we really delve in with Chase, but he's welcome to go ahead and and have him join. And yeah, why don't you, uh, why don't you do our tidbits and then we'll bring Chase right in. Okay, perfect. So the other two that I saw, one um, is another, it's actually a really interesting thing. And I, I had not seen it before today. I'm not sure when the decision was made. Uh, but Google is is going to release what they are calling career certificates. Uh, and they were going, at least Google themselves, and I'm sure they'll get buy-in from a lot of Silicon Valley organizations and possibly even other uh, areas. But they will be treated as the, as the equivalent of a four, the equivalence of a four-year degree, if not uh, a secondary degree. And they should take anywhere from six months to a year in length to accomplish. And they're basically trying to disrupt the, the current situation in which education is so expensive in, in this country, which is, I'm sure, a topic we'll do uh, another day. But 
Google's taking the initiative to try to smear it in everyone's face that they're going to give people jobs with certificates and not necessarily four-year degrees. That's uh, incredible. And what uh, what are they offering those degrees in? Uh, so there's a myriad. A lot of them obviously are probably going to be more on the technical side. Everything from from cloud storage to coding to um, you know hardware infrastructure, networking, that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that based on what I read, they're going to talk about expanding into other fields, which, I mean, if they could get into things like finance or, or you know, uh, other parts of the business world, they really could interrupt. the. Uh, and the certificates are $49 a month right now. So if it takes you between six and 12 months to complete, you're looking at what, like a one-tenth wow. of one percent of what a four-year degree would cost you. And, yeah. and, and we've, you know... I've been waiting to see this be disrupted for so long. So long. And, yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's fucking happening, man. And yeah. and that's a really great thing because conventional schooling does not work the way it was supposed not, to. Not not the way it was designed to be. Yeah, and and I mean a lot of people will tell you and, and to a degree I agree with this that there are uh call them intangible things that you learn through the process of going through a four-year degree that are incredibly valuable and can provide you with a lot but really the paper you get that's that's you know in the in the fucking uh frame that's not really what you're being educated on and it's kind of like you have four years to go figure out life go do it quick come back well and that's what i like about a liberal arts degree is it does give you the ability to learn how to think in ways that you weren't taught how to think when you were in public or private high school and um and and uh, you know, and prior, because you do, you, you know, when I went, when I went to Georgia state, I was taking philosophy, psychology, um, sociology, and I was learning how to think about life, how to think about being a person, how to, how, you know, how to think about other people and how we all interact and integrate into a society. Whereas, you know, you're not going to get that from a, a trade school, right? No. And and you're not going to get it from a Google certificate. However, uh, and, and this is another thing, sorry, go ahead, Kristen. I, well, I was just going to say, Mike also had the Hope, Hope, Scholar, Hope Scholarship, which doesn't exist anymore. Sure. And he didn't end up being indebted for the rest of his life like students are now who pay. Well, and that's a big part of it. And that's what I was going to say that's interesting is if you use a certificate for what you really are hoping to get your degree in, there are so many incredible institutions. I mean, places like Stanford and, and MIT that will allow you, at least in the online capacity, to... Um, to audit several huge courses, you never pay tuition because you're not getting credits for them, but you get the content, you know, right. and, and you know, maybe you don't get to go and who sits in a damn classroom anyway. I mean, that's, that's going to be transitioned out regardless. Right. right. So I, I think there's a lot of benefits. To this. I'd love to see uh, some organi- other organizations come out uh, and turn this into a coalition instead of just Google headed. Right. But right. Right. And and I, the the fact that Google is doing this, I think you're going to see this more and more where people are going to be moving away from these sorts of four year education, liberal arts degrees. And you're going to see more people getting these, you know, these Google style, um, you know, degrees. And I think, I think it's a great thing. And, And I would like to see how you can integrate the, you know, the, a, a little bit of, uh, breadth, 
into right, into right. some of this learning so that they are learning things outside of the scope of just the technology that they're trying to learn because I think that is important. We do need to be teaching adults how to think and we just how to think you know, and how to be well rounded. I think are important yeah. qualities yeah. to have. Um, and then, so my last little tidbit before we bring Chase on is um, so uh, in let's see what city is it in? It's in uh, Ika City and the. This is Japan, so I'm probably butchering the... But Iga City in the May Prefecture of Japan, the Ninja Museum was robbed by ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, apparently uh, there were... Could you elaborate on that? The Ninja Museum was robbed by ninjas. It, it, is, it is a museum about the history of ninjas in Japan, okay. uh, and it was robbed by some stealthy thieves who broke in left uh, almost no trace and stole more than a million yen. Nice. So <laughs> a technical ninja, right? That's done. Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it not anymore? Uh, so I don't, I don't know that there was ever anyone ever acknowledged that there was a technical ninja. Now you okay. had the shoguns and the shogunate and the samurai, right? Okay. But I don't know anyone ever actually acknowledged that. Um, so I, I noticed and, and, we're about to bring Chase on, so he might need to corroborate this, but he just said that the robbers disappeared when they dropped a smoke bomb. That might be humor, uh, but they may have. It says the entire robbery was done in three minutes, and they stole they stole a safe that was 330 pounds. Oh, man. That's, That's impressive. That is impressive. But three minutes in and out. Ninjas robbed the Ninja Museum. That's all I've got. Yeah, um, there was also a uh, over in Oakland. There's a church, a self-proclaimed mushroom church or cannabis church um, that was selling uh, cannabis and mushrooms uh, illegally, and they were just uh, the the feds or not the feds, but I think the local government just came in and just shut them down recently, which is sad. Wait, in Oakland, California? Okay, yeah. I thought. Isn't oh because they didn't have a license to sell yeah, yeah, recreational yeah, yeah. marijuana okay and mushrooms <laughs> well, those yeah. grow in the ground so it's like well hey the, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you fifty bucks <laughs> to stand in your backyard for ten minutes yeah the I local ci- the local city council actually decriminalized mushrooms psilocybin mushrooms and um and marijuana is also decriminalized as well but, but selling is still illegal right selling is still illegal all right, so we've got an amazing guest for you guys today. Um, his name is Chase Oliver. He Chase actually and I grew up in Georgia. Um, Chase has been a dedicated libertarian for a decade now. He's uh, committed to criminal justice reform and getting government out of our lives. He has worked on many campaigns, but this year he took the step to run himself. He's a proud he is proud to be down ballot supporter of Joe Jorgensen as an active affiliate party chair, fundraising director for outright libertarians and committed party activists. He is honored to continue his work to serve the community and get out the support for Dr. Joe Jorgensen and also and and is running for John Lewis's fifth congressional seat. Chase, how the hell are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? I've been enjoying the show for the last uh, hour. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Welcome. He's, uh, yeah, yeah. Chase, Chase has been like typing. He's like, I got, I have so many words for this conversation right now. Uh, but yeah. I do. I want to start off before we give you an even even further introduction. Is I really liked your last response in the chat, which was 
uh, he's looking forward to the ninjas being apprehended by the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh, which I we could totally, Michael Bay should turn that into a movie rather than the crap he did before. So, so I do have some quick words about what you guys have been talking about throughout the show. So first off, the DNC, uh, it was less hope and change and more like, you got to be scared that Trump's going to win this thing. Mm. Pretty much. Yeah. Had more hope and change would have been nice. The fireworks, though, with Joe Biden, fantastic. Uh, the RNC, what a joke of a lineup. Charles has not been in charge for 30 years. I don't know why Scott Bayo is going to be there. Uh, My pillow salesman. It's going to be like the worst infomercial ever. Uh, Kanye West, Kanye West. First off, I think he's learned the hard lesson about ballot access and being an independent candidate for president, how you can't get on a ballot anywhere. Wait, wait, wait. Secondly, he he is going to be the Kanye is going to speak. No, no, no. no, He was just saying he thinks he's learned how ballot access works because he's been kicked off. Uh, four states now. I think Wisconsin yeah. just kicked him off. He's not going to get on any ballots because all the deadlines have passed, and I think he's well, learning well, now. And I believe it was also because they were they were forging signatures. Yeah, for the in petition, right? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Didn't, uh, um, didn't Bernie Sanders' name appear on several several of the uh, Kanye West petition? <laughs> I'm serious. That's not. I'm not making that up. And I think that he's potentially being investigated for for fraud on that for election fraud. Okay, and then uh, Britney Spears. I don't know how that one came up, but um, free Britney. I think we should free Britney. Um, so, so there's that. And then uh, you talked a little bit about education. And I'd love to tell you guys about how libertarians love charter schools and alternative education because it provides competition in the marketplace for teachers and students, and parents can decide where to best uh, educate their kids. Hold and on. Did Chase, did Chase just use my favorite word? Competition. Competition. Oh, I love competition. The competition's competition everything, creates, right? Efficiency, competition creates cash, man. Competition well, creates everything. Let, let me I, think, you, I, think, I think I love you. Let, let, me, let, let me ask you a question about that because I because yeah. I have I have I have quite a few questions about that when it comes to charter schools. So mm-hmm. I have always had concerns when it comes to charter schools because yeah, they're great for the middle class. Yeah, they're great for those who have cash, but they're not great for those who don't. And public education is, has been available to everyone. And so when you have charter schools that aren't strategically located in places where poor and underserviced kids live, then you're having to bust them out. But if you can't, if, if they, if they don't have access to those schools, if they don't have access to transportation, they're not going to get it. And so I love the idea of what competition can do in order to make certain organizations better. But I think there are things, including education, that it falls severely short of being um, productive in. So what are your thoughts on that? So I'm a pragmatist, right? So I understand that you're not going to be able to just get rid of public schools overnight. There would have to be some sort of transition there. And uh, if I were to wave the magic wand, if I were to say the governor of Georgia, uh, for instance, I would... uh, Aspirations, I like it. Yeah, I would propose some sort of education plan where you tie most, the majority of that education dollars, that that funding, to the student themselves. And you leave a remainder for the public school system, say uh, 75-25. That's just the number that popped up in my head right now. Maybe it, maybe, you know... Uh, I'm just going to say that was totally spontaneous, Uh, but 75 and 25. And so what you do is 75 cents of every education dollar is tied to the student. And those parents can uh, stay in the public school where 100% of the dollars, you know, go to them. Or if they so choose, they leave, take 75% of the funding with them to go to whatever charter school, religious school, any school they want to homeschool, however they want to be educated, and then relieve the remaining 25 uh, cents on the dollar. 
And what you do is, is for every student that leaves, per capita, every student who remains is better funded. So even if there's just one student in the school, he still has 25% of the total funding that happens for an entirely full school. So you improve the funding for public school education as people have more and more options to leave. And the thing is, is charter schools will provide competition and new ways of doing things. They're laboratories of innovation. And the best schools will survive. They will thrive. And what will happen is, is the bad public schools will say, we got to stop having all these students leave. We want to keep all of our funding. We're going to start adapting our teaching to the way these great and excellent schools are in the private market. It's providing competition. Is, and this is, and when you say it's for the middle class, you know, when you go to the fifth district where I am, there are a lot of poor uh, parents who would really like to have better schools than the failing Atlanta public schools. They are terrible. Uh, I have I have neighbors who have literally had to move out of their home because they say, my kids are turning four. They're going to be five next year. I don't want them to go to this failing school system. Right. I'm going to move to a better area of town. Well, and it guts, the, uh, it guts the urban centers of our city to well, be relying on these failing public schools. Chase, don't you think one of the ways that we that we help that not to not to say that charter schools aren't part of the solution, but wouldn't you say par, another part of it is changing the way that the schools are funded by property taxes to not be geographically based on the neighborhoods that the property taxes come from? Because yeah. in the pool system, the way that it exists now, if you are your property taxes, which a if you're in a poorer area, your property is worth less. Unfortunately, your property tax itself is, is smaller. And then when those tax dollars get accumulated and given to the education system, it's far less a poor neighborhood than it would be in a wealthier one, right? Well, I think, uh, you know, education is usually done at the county level. We have county boards of education. And I think what you can do is you can take funding from the entire county, you know, take all of the funding from the entire county and then equitably split it out amongst every student. And that way, whether you come from a rich or a poor neighborhood, you're getting the same amount of funding for your school. Sure, and but don't you think there's rich counties and poor counties? There are, but typically the uh, you know poor counties are typically rural counties, very low population counties. There's not, and you can always infuse state money in there if you really need to. But I think honestly, uh, you're going to have lower population schools. You're going to have lower pop. You know, you're going to have lower revenue. That's just the kind of way. It, I mean, Atlanta is a huge population center. Because I really, I really like your idea. I really like yeah, your idea. I'd of, love to talk about it, though. That's the thing. The thing is, is you would never hear an idea like that out of a Republican or a Democrat. No, even right. though you would bare right. bones of it. Right, right. It's, it's unspeakable. for Because I, I really right. love that idea, but I think that, again, we, we accumulate because we can. We have the technology now. We accumulate that property tax at the state level and then redistribute it across the entire state, not county by county. Hey, uh, you know, I would look forward to any way to be able to – what I want to do is I want to be able to have kids, have a better education – and have better choices when it comes to uh, for parents and teachers and students when it comes to where to educate. Like that's the thing. I I think because again, if you come to Atlanta and you see the Atlanta public school system, you're going to see a lot of problems. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's entrenched interests. And the reason why you, the reason why you don't hear from Republicans is because Republicans just want to do away with uh, any kind of public education. They think just like they're going to rip the bandaid right off, which I understand uh, is as a libertarian is the eventual goal is to get certainly the federal government out of education. You know, uh, so much of what libertarians say, when we say we want to get the government out, a lot of times it's the federal government out of it or the state government out of it. We want to go back to the local government. And at the end of the day, each of us is an individual. We are our own governing body. The, the, the smallest form of government is the individual. And what happened, the way governments are formed is we take our freedom, our rights that are inherently ours and to form government, we give a slice of that. We give a slice of that to our local government, to our state government, to our federal government. What libertarians argue is that we have given way, way too big a slice of our rights and our freedoms, certainly to the federal government, 
many times the state government and sometimes even to local government. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I think that particularly when we talk about education, I have no mm-hmm. problem with taking federal government out of it, even maybe state government. Um, but if that's going to be the case, then I absolutely think we need to take religion out of it too. At least, well, at least, at least, at least for the main source. If you choose to go to a religious education, absolutely, that's your right. But it shouldn't be a default choice for someone. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that in my, if I were to do that seventy-five twenty-five plan, I would be absolutely fine with having religious schools being able to compete in the marketplace if they want to. If that's if that's the way they so choose, I mean. Parents have a right to send their kids wherever, and they pay taxes just like everybody else. And so they should have a right to decide where their kid goes to school. Well, those, those churches Myself, don't pay taxes, though. They, the churches don't pay taxes, but the parents who are having their children educated do. That's true. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, it's their dollars. It's their taxes that are going – it's their property taxes that are going to fund the education of their children. So if they want to send their kid to a religious school, by all means, there are really great ones. You know, I have a friend uh, who was Jesuit-educated. Uh, and he got one of the best educations ever. You know, it was a religious school. But, you know, are, they, they learned all about evolution and all about all, you know, there are some all, phenomenal all those ones. things. I went to a religious middle school, and uh, some of the things that were being taught, uh, I still can't believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just, so, so I mean, I, I get it, and I'm not to say that there are not phenomenal religious educations out there, but there are also organizations whose job isn't so much to educate, but it is to indoctrinate. Right. And, and, you know, and I would, I'm all about uh, free and open thought. So uh, at that point, you know, that's a, that's a, see, those are fine point details too. That's what we're talking about. That's very true. You're absolutely right about that. So we're talking about, you know, but a more, but a more broad point detail in, in, in this whole conversation about, about public and private schools would be who, what sort of, what sort of um, mandates would there be? I mean, Here's my biggest here's my biggest concern with with pub, with privately funded or or with private schooling and charter schooling is that there are organizations that chew up and spit out businesses, build them up, take them apart, and it's all about the economics. That's not about the innovation. How do you separate those who are only interested in the economics of a school versus the innovation? Like that that just seems so difficult to separate to me. I don't I don't know how you do it. So if you were taking your child to a school and you were, and you were touring a school, I think it would it'd be pretty apparent if you could see where the corners are being cut. You, you have the choice. That's the thing. You have the right. choice as the parent of where your kid is going to go to school. And I think any parent would, would want their kid to go to a good school and a well-performing school. And again, these bad practices would eventually die out. It and, might but, take a few years. And that is, but the thing is, is here's right. the thing. We can either have a failing public school system that will continue to fail, or we can create laboratories of innovation where some things are going to continue to fail, but many things will succeed. And when those things start to succeed, other people will kind of adopt those practices. This is what I mean about competition. You know, they, they are failing. That's very, very clear. And I think that it's true that they need a huge kick in the pants to start doing better. Our children have been... Public schooled, public virtual schooled, private schooled, umbrella schooled, homeschooled, unschooled, mm-hmm. all trying to find the best option for them. But that's only because we're in a situation where we can do that. But that's my point. That's my that's my entire I agree with you completely, Kristen. And that's my entire point, Chase, is that we Kristen and I are privileged enough to be able to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, you know, you give parents the choice to put their kid in any school they want. That sounds great in theory, but at the end of the day, the kids down here in Paramore 
the kids in downtown Atlanta who can't make it, who can't transport themselves to well, these better well, schools are now going to be, you know, in these shrinking sectors mm-hmm. of economics. And you're going to, it's going to be a fight to the bottom. That's why you would tie the funding to each individual student, because guess what? There's a large population center in Atlanta, a lot of kids. And then they might be inclined to build a school there. There's yeah. lots of buildings that have become abandoned. There's whole giant sectors of the city that are big open buildings that could be big, right. beautiful schools if people would invest in it. Right. And that's the thing. This kind of uh, this kind of education plan, this kind of competition would actually allow for investing in those areas that are that need education. There's a need right. for it. There will be a marketplace for it. People will want to yeah. make money. That's the thing. If and there's that, and a that financial makes sense. incentive, people will build. It, it, and that it, makes sense because that also puts the burden of the logistics of getting those students to the school on the school, right? If it's competitive and fits for profit. So, so I, that makes sense. That part of it makes sense to me, Chase, because one of the things that I do see, particularly because as most of us, I think, are well aware, the, the poorer socioeconomic areas tend to be in higher population groups mm-hmm. in cities most, most frequently. And in those cases, you're absolutely right. If the dollars are based on the students and it's your responsibility to accumulate said dollars, why would you not build the school close to them? Yeah. So I get yeah. that. And I, but I do think, I do think one of the keys to that though is, and I like tying the, the property tax dollars or the education dollars to the student. Uh, I think the key to it is making sure that uh, it doesn't take five inner city kids worth of said dollars to equal one suburban kid yeah, worth of dollars. Again, exactly. And you know, again, these are fine point details. Sure. That, again, you sure. won't even hear the broad ideas coming from the two major parties. Right. Because no, no, already, there's none. There's none. There's, no, there's, already, right. there's already special interests that have bought and paid for them. Oh, God. And yeah, so, we can I mean, do a whole podcast. Yeah, gen- generally, this is, and this is why generally libertarians want government out of the way, right? Is because sure. we feel like um, the major parties, the people who are in power, already bought and paid for by people. So they don't really represent the people who even vote for them anymore. They represent the people who pay for the people who vote for them, essentially. You bring up an important point about these being broad point details that you won't even hear any of the parties discussing. And I think that's Mm -hmm. that's the biggest problem, is that we can't even have... like. I, it's not even okay for us to be discussing this if you are blue or red, right? Like red, it's a little more okay, but if you're blue, even to discuss these things means you hate children. And I think that's wrong, right? We should be able to have these conversations, think creatively, innovate, and whether or not I agree with the fine point details or all of the pieces, if we don't at least broach the conversation, we're never going to get anywhere. We're just going to be dogma. And to, oh, yeah. to agree to agree with Chase, I mean, like, and, and you're right too, Mike. To speak from a pragmatic perspective, yeah, the idea of looking at kids as a dollar sign probably terrifies uh, most people it, on the blue side. It terrifies side. me. I'm but, terrified of that but idea. They, but they are, you know. And one of the things we're going to talk about next week is media entertainment, and kids are the biggest dollar signs, right? So, you know, one of the things we need to acknowledge is if we're going to create uh, innovative solutions. We have to be pragmatic. So, Chase, I think I, I, I think you've made some excellent points there. Yeah, Mike, yeah. just stop using that damn camera. The camera's very hot. Um, it's because okay. of this hot conversation we're it having. It is. It's a very hot conversation. But let's uh, let's transition away from education for a bit. And, and okay. Chase, when we do education, because I think we'll probably do a whole topic on it, maybe we'd love to probably bring you back and talk about that 
I got even better resources than me that could come talk to you about homeschooling and alternative. That'd be awesome. Uh, We got some fan. We had a, we had a whole alternative education panel at the libertarian party of Georgia convention earlier this year. It was pre COVID. It was in January. It was a great time. Um, Had by all I could hug people. That was excellent. Um, I attended, (laughs) I attended the, the uh, extremely socially distanced convention that we had in, uh, in July um, where uh, everyone was wearing, you know, I was wearing the N95 mask the entire time. We were all spaced 10 feet apart with our tables. It was like we were in a football field. We were like an airplane hangar. Uh, it was like 100 people. For like, yeah, a couple hundred people. It was re- wow. to get from one state to the other. I was like, oh, my God, I have to walk over to Texas right now. I'm so <laughs> far away. It literally was like walking to Texas. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, libertarians in general, we are about coming up with ideas that uh, the Republicans and Democrats don't really want to discuss anymore. And the theme of my campaign actually is more choices and more voices. We have a better government. We have a better political discourse. We have a better life when we have more choices on our ballot and more voices in the debate. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I'll be speaking for Joe Jorgensen tomorrow, uh, actually at the beer garden in Edgewood. If you guys want to come out from six to eight, I'll be emceeing the event because we want Joe Jorgensen in the debates because having her in the debates will challenge Joe Biden and will challenge Donald Trump. Have Howie Hawkins in the debate, too. He is on enough state ballots to theoretically win the Electoral College. So throw the Greens in there, too. There's nothing wrong with having four names on there instead of two. And yeah, so uh, and, and generally, that's what my my uh, my campaign, in addition to being mostly about criminal justice, like that's my main platform I'm fighting for. But in general, I want to talk about more choices and more voices here in Georgia in the state legislature. Most races are running unopposed. Uh, every November. And this is because yeah, districts, that's an issue in Florida too. Tremendous districts are extremely gerrymandered. And uh, we also have this problem with ballot access. It's so hard for an independent or a third party to actually get on a ballot. The reason why I'm running in the special election is because it is a special election. It doesn't require me to gather the insane amount of signatures that's required for a third party or independent sure, on, the ballot. Sure. We, on a main, on a main election. Yeah. yeah. We haven't had uh, you know, in Georgia, I think we haven't had like a, an independent on a congressional race that wasn't a special election since like the 40s or something. And that's because this law was passed to prevent communists from getting on the ballot. Originally. Right. Right. Well, which which I think they just call Democrats now. But yeah. So um, and, and so, you know, the, it, it, having more choices and more voices, again, competition breeds efficiency. It breeds, you know, innovation. And this is the same in political discourse. When we're stuck with the same two tired decisions, you know, the same two tired choices, you know, we get this race to the bottom because what we get is hyper-partisanship, it's us versus them, and there's no in-between, and you have to be on my team or their team. Well, sure, and, and to, you know, to, race quote, to, the bottom. to quote South Park, like I so frequently do, that's how you end up with a giant douche versus a turd sandwich. Yeah, and the turd sandwich nominated California's top cop to be his VP, so like, what is going on there? Like, there, that's the thing, that's the thing that really baffles me, I was meant to say that about the DNC. That we have this movement, this Black Lives Matter movement, since the murder of George Floyd, people have been out in the streets. I've been out in the streets. I know what uh, tear gas feels like. It sucks. I know what, you know, I have seen people, I've talked to many people who are frustrated. And then they put a woman who is probably of all the people who ran on the Democratic ticket arrested the most people of color. Out oh, of anybody. I, I don't uh, think that's a maybe. I think that's a surety. And, and, and you know, she, she changed her tune as a senator, but I find that to be political expediency. I find that she needed to run statewide in California. Sure, I really but I mean, it could, be, it could be lessons learned. It could be maybe lessons learned as well. Maybe it could, but you know what? She's never really apologized for it. 
And that's a good point too. Like, not to me personally, but like I have not really seen, you know, they, they, they just try to rewrite as she was a progressive prosecutor and it's like, man, Kamala Harris. No, she, real, wasn't a, she wasn't a progressive prosecutor, she's not a but, progressive she's, prosecutor. But, but she's been a progressive Senator. Like, I think that's, I think that's the point is, yeah. is yes, she, and you're right. I don't think she's apologized either, but, and, and here's where, here's where I want to be a little hard on you. Okay, Chase. All right. Mm-hmm. So here, here, here's, here's my concern is, and, and this may, and we can go back and talk about 2016. We can talk about the, you know, the, the 2000 votes in Michigan and how many people voted libertarian and Donald mm-hmm. Trump being the president, because that's the, we have a big problem with, in my opinion, Donald Trump being president. So I'm a settle for Biden person. Like I, I've, I've take, I've made that commitment to myself. I was, I'm a settle for Biden at this point. We're, we're calling me, it, we're wait, calling it any able human 2020. Wait. Catch me in four years, Chase, and I very well may be a libertarian. But right now, I am a settle for Biden because I can't stomach the thought of another four years, and I can't I can't stomach the idea of of this president continuing on down the path he is going and splitting, con- continuing to polarize the U.S. Now, did he create the polarization? No, right. This has been going on for a long time. We've got the Democrats who are Republican light. We've got the Republicans who are devolving into Jerry Springer show. Like it is getting fucking ugly. And I really appreciate the fact that you're stepping up and moving the libertarian torch forward because that may very well be a torch I want to carry four years from now. But this year, it's not a torch I can carry. Talk me out of it. Okay. So first, let me speak to my race. Uh, My race is a special election on September the 29th. It is for a about a four month term to finish out John Lewis's term. Now, the reason why I say why you can be comfortable as a Democrat voting for me in my race is because I hold many of the criminal justice positions, immigration positions, many of the anti-war positions that John Lewis held himself. He was a champion of human liberty. Okay, And uh, if you want to send a message as a Democrat in the 5th District that your voice and your vote should be earned and not expected, then you should perhaps say... For this four-month term, we're going to vote libertarian because we're tired of being ignored. Uh, Many Democrats were actually ignored in this district when it came to who was being placed on the November ballot to replace John Lewis's name. Uh, Many of the people I'm running against who are Democrats have expressed much, much dismay over that choice. And they said many people weren't listened to, and I I completely empathize as a libertarian. So I want to say to those people, you can vote libertarian and not have to worry about it because it's a four-month term, it's sending a message, and... You're going to have somebody who's going to fight for criminal justice for now, now for November, well, now for so, November so and in general. Before you, before you get to November and, and in general, because I want you to get there, but I just want to take the moment. If I was in Georgia, I would absolutely be voting for you for that seat in the special election. Like I believe that we need to get libertarians on the tickets in local community, state government. We need more libertarians in the government at all levels. Well, and even federal for house and Senate positions, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. House and federal for house and Senate positions. I believe that we have what one libertarian chase in the, we in have the- one libertarian in the house and he was a Republican when he was elected. He left right. the party, uh, joined the impeachment fight against the president and is now a libertarian. He was really a libertarian all along. Right. But, uh, you know, he had to play the two-party he game. He wanted to win. He wanted the money, or not the money, but the campaign support. I think there's lots yeah. of actual libertarians amongst the Democrat and Republican Party. I think there's I think, a ton. Yeah, I think right. Tulsi Gabbard is a heck of a lot more libertarian than people give her credit oh, for. Oh, 100%. So. Absolutely. She's um, anti-war. She, she wants the troops home. I mean, there are so many things so, that she's doing that are libertarian right now. And, you know, I'm the kind of person where I don't vote straight ticket. 
I mm-hmm. vote. I, I, I'm lucky enough here in Florida to be able to vote absentee ballot. Every time I get my absentee ballot, I sit down, I go through each and every individual candidate, and I even try not even to focus on the party, but to focus on the policy. And I will mm-hmm. vote based on policy. So down the ticket, I'm all for that. Now convince me why the hell I would not vote against Donald Trump to keep him out of no, office. I don't, so I don't, I don't think Chase, that's what Chase is trying to do. I think he's saying we need to see more people in the actual debates so that we can have more people browbeat Donald Trump together. So first and foremost, so first and foremost, <laughs> I'm going to say this. I want Joe Jorgensen in the debate because I think if Joe Jorgensen was in the debate, many voters would see that she is the best of the three options. I think she could win if she were allowed into the debate. Now, I, Absolutely. I, 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 I have to disagree with you. You have to say that. You have to say that. You have to say that. I think she can. I think Gary Johnson could have won four years ago had he been allowed to debate against Trump and uh, yeah, against Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, I really do. So I, I love your optimism. I, really I love your optimism. Unfortunately, there's such a giant group of people who will not vote outside of their party because they, I mean, I don't know, maybe they were beaten by too many sticks as children, but there are just so many people on both sides of the aisle that still now, and don't get me wrong, uh, Chase, I'm with you. I think, I think that we have a few, I, I pray that we have a future that has four or five or six parties on the ballot for so, the presidency. So let me give you the, let me give you the numbers here. 1992 was the last time we had a major third party candidate on the ballot, uh, uh, they we also saw, and, we saw, and we saw how that happened. Uh, Ross Perot was at 6% in the polls at the time that he uh, started the debate, you know, at the time he was in the debates. And he ended with 19% of the popular vote. Okay, that was a huge jump. A that lot of people jump. voted for Ross Perot in 1992. Okay, Now, to be the fair, the Libertarian Party only got 0.28% of the vote that year. Yes, yeah, and, but the, uh, the major third party candidate was a non-party affiliate. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, I get he created his own party. He was a billionaire. So, but since then, we have been. Uh, we this will be the the third time uh, or fourth time, I believe, that we've been on the ballot in all fifty states. Will be this uh, in twenty twenty. We're working on. It. We have a couple states left, and we're we're on a good path to do it. But uh, why am I voting for George Jorgensen in November? Why do I encourage people to vote for George Jorgensen in November? First and foremost, as a Democrat, you should be less afraid of Joe Jorgensen than uh, than you really think, because WSB in Atlanta or in Georgia just released a poll showing Joe Jorgensen to actually be pulling many more votes away from traditional Republicans. Uh, she's actually making Georgia competitive for Joe Biden currently right now. So uh, you shouldn't really have that fear. And especially in states like Michigan, uh, states where some people did vote a libertarian, most of those people when polled say they would have either voted for Donald Trump in 2016 or sat at home and not voted at all because there wasn't an option that represented right. them on the ballot. So right. I, I think there's I think the idea that that Gary Johnson may have cost Hillary Clinton her victory of three million votes. She got three million more votes um, is kind of laughable um, at that point. But uh, to, to your point, I am voting for Joe because I am voting for her. I'm not voting against Donald Trump. I'm not voting uh, against Joe Biden. I'm voting for Joe Jorgensen because she represents ideas and positions that need to be heard and that make sense. They are real solutions for real people. Things like uh, giving more control over education to parents and students. Things like ending these wars abroad. Things like criminal justice reform that we sorely, sorely need and that we need the political will to happen. We could end qualified immunity, and this speaks to my race too. I support ending qualified immunity. There is a bill in the House right now that was created by Justin Amash 
co-sponsored by Ayanna Presley, who is a fantastically progressive uh, liberal Democrat. Uh, and it also has a Republican co-sponsor. It's actually a tripartisan bill, but it will never, ever get an argument on the floor because of the entrenched political establishment of the parties. Uh, and the only correct. way you're ever going to do it, you have to make it hurt. Right. That's the thing. If you really want the major parties to answer to you, you have to make it hurt a little bit. And guess what? I, I and, and someone has said, you know, this is, I'm paraphrasing a past chair of the Libertarian Party in 2016. He said, you know, at the end of this race, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, oh, about all those votes we should have gotten from the third party. Well, you should have earned those votes. Yeah. If you really spoke to the issues of those people, you would have the Libertarian getting 0.28%. But right. the fact is, is they don't speak to those issues. So we look elsewhere and we're going to be that elsewhere for those people. Until, and as the movement grows, I like to say libertarianism is the creek before the river, you know, right. before there's a river, there's a creek that carves a path and becomes a stream and it becomes a river. Well, well I pre- we, yeah. we were decades ahead on gay marriage. We were decades ahead on ending the drug war. We've been a decade or more ahead on ending the actual wars. Absolutely. So, so, so they have that third voice. And I think, so I think that that third voice, I, and I, and then I think libertarianism is that third voice. I think that the, the foundation upon which, or we'll call it the tipping point for the libertarian party will be the fracturing of one of these two parties. Uh, like kind of like what Mike was, was, was prophesizing earlier. Uh, I do foresee that probably being the Republican party first, uh, because I think we'll see a divide between, between moderate conservatives and the alt right religious right crowd. That's going to stick to their guns, no matter what, literally their guns. Um, the uh, and then I, what I do think will happen, and this is this is just uh, conjecture on my part, but what I do think will happen is when we see that split, I do think we'll also see the Democratic Party split as well, because when you don't have to stay aligned, a group of of, of multivariate people who don't have a lot in common sit under the Democratic flag right now, but only do so to oppose a common enemy. And when we see that split start to start to happen, I think we get to a point where we've got maybe four parties that can exist. And hopefully, com- and hopefully compete. Well, speaking speaking to the growth, you you talked about it becoming a creek and then a river. And I just wanted to speak real quick to the to the growth of the popular vote in general elections of the Libertarian Party. And you saw in you know it was, it was very low in seventy two and seventy six. Uh, Nineteen eighty, um, you actually saw what they took one percent of the popular vote. Um, then it kind of slipped again, and it wasn't until uh, twenty twelve. Gary Johnson, the year I actually voted for Gary Johnson, he put took. 0.99%. And then he took 3.29% in 2016. And I think that's a direct um, a direct result of, of Trump. I think Trump may have like actually opened the door for liberal well, and, and, and Hillary. Hillary, Hillary. Yeah. Because and, I think yeah. what Chase was saying, people were voting for a candidate they believed in and not just against people they didn't want to see in office. And that's and that's true. And I think that's that's incredibly important. Um, now I will say, now you you made a point about the, the three million vote differential uh, in the popular vote. Obviously the popular vote doesn't fucking matter. Um, it's all about the electoral college. Um, you know, I actually got drunk one night and started giving my friendship for in Michigan who voted libertarian. I was like, you fuck this up for us. And, um, and I know, and I, and and I'm joking, but that I did that. Um, (laughs) but I'm joking, but but I'm not. Yeah. But to, to your point, Chase, I I think, I think there's extreme value here. And, and what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, I, and I appreciate you you bringing that up because a lot of people think, well, you vote libertarian, you're taking it away from the Democrats. Like, who said that? Like, you could you could be taken away from the Republican. Like, you you don't know how people how it's going to shake out when people start voting their conscience. 
You could also be one of the vast amount of independent voters who actually don't really align with one or the other or who have been an apathetic non-voter. There are non-voters out there. Like 40% of people who are eligible to vote do not because they That's really just see, say, why the hell am I going to do that? Right. There's a lot and of people that, who don't well, believe their vote counts. So why don't you, well, and the libertarians should go percentage so, no, that right. aren't allowed to because of their religious beliefs. It's, it's, it's still a... Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Say that again? There are a lot of religions out there that do not condone voting. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, Voted well, I think you. what Chase was saying when he said eligible voters, he meant people who are registered to vote, but no. choose not to. Oh, I would say yeah, 40% of oh, registered okay. voters don't yeah. vote. Only about 60% are of voters registered? vote. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you waste your time registering? Because you registered vote? once when you were fucking 18 and then you never yeah. did anything with it. You That's, never moved? Yeah. But here's the thing. A lot. You would be surprised. We can actually, you can actually look at the statistics on how many people live within fifty miles of their birth, and it's still like eighty percent. That's total guess, but it's way up there. So uh, we just had a comment: unqualified immunity, no. And this is this comes from Keith. Oh, and Keith actually is uh, from Alaska. He he's biased. He's a little biased. He's a little biased. He is a police officer. We love Keith, but he's uh, a little biased. We, we, we love okay. Keith. Um, I'd love to hear why Keith doesn't think qualified immunity is a good thing, but I'd love to hear more from you, Chase, no, no, no. as to why you or is not a good thing, but or is a good thing. So, so let me speak to Keith. Let me speak to Keith directly, sir. I don't know you, but I imagine if you're friends with Mike and these other folks, you're a good, upstanding officer, and you're someone who wants to serve his community, do a good job of enforcing the law. Now, qualified immunity will never affect you because you do your job correctly. You do your job with care. You care about the people you serve. I'm sure. But what qualified immunity will do is will allow citizens to have a means to make uh, to to uh, to address when wrongs do occur. And qualified immunity is something that was kind of created whole cloth by the Supreme Court, and it has been used and overused and abused to the point of where now it is so hard to hold bad cops uh, accountable that now good cops get lumped in with the bad ones. What qualified immunity will do is increase trust in the community and their law enforcement. They will no longer fear police because they will say, I have no reason to fear police because I have legal recourse if something happens to me. That means uh, a wife who is being abused will no longer fear calling the police for fear that her husband will be beaten or killed at the hands of the police. So now her abuse will be controlled. It will be uh, an arrest made because people will know that, hey, I can call the police. I can trust them to not uh, shoot somebody that's what has happened. I mean, look at what happened to Ryan Whitaker in Phoenix. This guy was playing Crash Bandicoot with his wife. Uh, they were making a lot of noise. Someone called and said, this is a domestic disturbance. Oh, I think there's violence going on if that gets you here quicker. And they, mm. they, they knock on the door very, you know, at, at late at night. And he, being a, a, a husband, wants to protect his wife. He grabs his pistol to answer the door. And three seconds after he opens the door, he's dead. Now... Now you can say, you can say that that was, uh, you know, a split moment decision, and it had to happen that way, and that's the way we're trained. But the truth is, is now a jury will never really have the means to actually answer to that, and you'll never really have the investigation that's needed because you have this protection of qualified immunity. I want good police to do good police work and to protect our communities and keep us safe and to enforce the law and to investigate crimes, especially crimes where there are victims, rape murder, sexual abuse. These are things that I want police to focus on. But too often, the ball is, that's not where the focus is. And, and it ends up having less trust in the police, which makes your job as a police officer harder. It makes it harder for the community to trust the police. 
And it, it makes for a more dangerous place for our citizens and for the businesses that are there. And I for want the police to themselves. Yes. Not only did you give me goosebumps, Chase, like uh, you almost brought a little tear to my eye. That was very well said. That was very well said. I got to be honest with you. That was very well said. Beautifully said. Uh, Keith um, just said, Mike was swearing at me for voting my conscience. Yes, I was, Keith. You were, you, he, Keith is one of two people, one in Alaska, one in Michigan, who uh, Keith, he outed himself, but who were me nameless. Um, yes, he, Keith was one of the two people who I got very mad at for, for not voting for Hillary when uh, Trump well, so, spiked us so in 2016. I I want us to take a, a little bit of a step back because we've only got probably about 30 minutes left here together. I, um, dude, I'll, I'll go for fucking another hour. This is fantastic. <laughs> and no, it's great. And, and actually, I, I mean, I would, I would love to have Chase on again when we have uh, some more time together. Uh, but let's, let's take a step back. Let's get up to like the 30, 40,000 foot level and, and talk uh, from the future of the United States for, from a more strategic perspective than down at the tactical level. Like we've awesome. been looking. Yeah. Uh, so I think, uh, I think we all agree that, I, I don't know anyone except for deeply entrenched individuals that would not like to see more parties on tickets, uh, whether it's local, state, or even federal elections. Um, what do what what does it take? What will it take? Actually, no. First question, um, and it's this is a lack of research on my part. Is the is the uh, mascot of the Libertarian Party is that a hedgehog or a porcupine? It is a porcupine. Okay. This is a porcupine, <laughs> and see, we are a porcupine. Because we believe that we are peaceful, we are nonviolent. Until you fuck with us. <laughs> until you fuck with us, and then you go So that's why porcupine is our unofficial <laughs> mascot. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So the, the porcupine. So that is that is exactly what it is. Um, um, now you're talking about ways that we can get those more more voices on the ballot and more well, choices. So, so not just more voices on the ballot, but like. Let's again. Let's say. Let's try to say it like the thirty thousand mm-hmm. foot range. What needs to happen? So, um, to get thing, there. Go ahead. W- one thing that could really help, and one thing that I advocate for. Uh, in fact, I did a Young Democrats forum the other night, and they were talking about voter fatigue. Like, oh, we have so many primaries, and now we have this special election. Like, do you think this is going to cause voter fatigue? And I said the way you end voter fatigue and also allow for more choice in the ballot is you advocate for ranked choice voting. Yes. Uh, you allow people to choose their top choice, Thank and if they don't you. reach a certain threshold, then it goes to your second choice until we have a 50% plus one consensus choice. Uh, that would be a game changer. They do it in the state of Maine. It works excellent up there. And can if you, you have, Before you go too deeply into where it's happening, can you explain to our listeners who aren't aware what ranked choice voting is exactly what it okay, is? And that's, so, and that's guest number two who's advocating for ranked choice voting, by so, the way. So, please. so ranked, choice, ranked choice voting or preferential voting, as it's known in Australia, is where you actually get to choose more than one choice in your ballot. You get to uh, see all the names in your ballot. Say there's four names. And you can say, okay, um, let, let, let's just use November as an example, right? We have Joe Biden, we have Donald Trump, we have Joe Jorgensen and Howie Hawkins. Let's say you're like me. Uh, Joe Jorgensen is my number one choice. I will put her as my top choice in the ballot. Okay, next choice. Uh, I really hate the duopoly, so I'm going to go for Howie Hawkins as my second choice is the Green Party, okay? Um, third choice, okay, I really just can't deal with Donald Trump anymore, so I'm just, okay, we'll settle with Joe. I'll settle with Biden as number three. <laughs> And I'm not even going to vote for Donald Trump because I don't want him to ha- even have a chance of having my vote. Right? Okay. Like it would happen anyways. Um, so Joe Jorgensen being my top choice, if she doesn't reach a certain threshold of votes, usually it's 15%, I believe is uh, where it is. Your vote then goes to your second choice. It's which 50. 50. Generally speaking. 50. So it's so it could 50. be. 
It could right. be. So if your candidate doesn't understand it, that doesn't yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. Like, say uh, if, let's say Joe Jorgensen, my precinct, got 20% of the vote. Oh, right. It would be 25, right? It would be, yeah. you'd have to get 25% of the vote. I don't know exactly how it's, it's math. It's a lot of math. Yeah, I was going to say, but it can't oh. be 50 because then it's like, if your candidate doesn't win, then. Hold on. Yeah, so here's the deal. In no, 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 here's what it is. Here's what it is. If 50% of the people who rank them first, so if mm-hmm. if the person who's rank, ranked first gets 50% of the vote, they automatically win. They just win. They it's just like win. an instant runoff. Yeah, that's like, like a normal, yeah, okay. Right, so if there's, if there's 100 people who vote and 51 people vote, I'll, put, I'll pick the same yeah. number one Then they person, win just like they, a normal they, election. They, they win mm-hmm. just like a normal election, exactly. Now, then, right, go ahead, go ahead. Jake. So it's kind of like an instant runoff, essentially. We have runoffs in Georgia. So Democrat, Republican, independent run. Okay. We just have recounts. Nobody, get, nobody gets over 50%. So what they do is they take the top two candidates, they run in a runoff. It's usually a few weeks later. It's a whole other election. Right. Whole thing. Whole other to do. Yeah. Whole other to do. Ranked choice voting just kind of takes that process into one place. You just, you, you do your runoff voting. Uh, right there at the at the booth when you go to your initial voting, sure. you say okay, which, which absolutely vo- helps with voter fatigue, like you were saying. It helps with voter fatigue because it cuts down on the number of uh, a number of primaries and the number of actual elections that you have. But what it also does is it tells people you don't have to be afraid to vote for Gary Johnson just because you think Hillary Clinton's going to lose. Right. Sure. sure, you don't have to be afraid to vote for Joe Jorgensen because you think somehow Trump's going to win more votes because you guys are splitting the vote. Exactly. That is what ranked choice voting does. It unleashes the potential for you and to say will, it, you don't takes, have to be afraid of a spoiler. You're no longer a spoiler. You right. It and, takes and, some of it takes some of the authoritarian power away from the parties that be. As it well. does. It takes a ton away. So um, currently, and that's why you're with, never going to get it. Right. Right. And that's the fucking problem. We have and to. That's why it. you have to vote libertarian. We will do it. Here's the thing. We I, want the hey, ring listen. of power. We want the ring of power, but we want to throw it in the volcano. <laughs> right. 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 Well, that's so, what we want to do. We want to cast so, it into the fires of Mordor. We <laughs> don't want the power. We want to give you back the power. You are the power. Chase, if, I have saying to be competition, if saying competition wasn't the key to my heart, Tolkien references always will be. So yeah, uh, I, I have to be honest with you, Chase. You're probably like my favorite person who's ever who, you're, you're the fate like i've never heard anyone speak who i would want to vote for more than than after hearing you speak because what you're saying right now is you're saying here give me the power i'm gonna th- i'm gonna fucking throw it in and we're gonna start over which now it sounds great but you know most people don't do that but but i'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt on this one but just going back to um our current voting system which is fptp first to the goalpost right it's just it's it's you all hit about the 535 so nobody nobody's willing uh, well sorry in 2016 3.49% of people were willing to but the other 97% is not willing to vote their conscience because they're terrified of the of the greater of two evils and without well, so- rank, wait 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 without ranked choice voting we can not get there that's true but i think i think so i think mike and and this is a and i'm really glad we're having this conversation because 3.4 percent of the currently voting people were willing to do that now if the libertarian party can convince people who have been disenfranchised by the current system who don't vote to show up now well, that's the ticket well well that's that's that. my whole point i'm like you, you quit, we will quit, get there quit, quit talking to our democrats Go, go talk to the people who are voting. <laughs> Mike, go to the Mike, people who are voting, yeah. Mike, we will get there, and here's the thing. 
As long as the two parties continue their race towards the bottom with the party, they're going to piss everybody off. It's going to get to a point where, where people are no longer afraid because they're going to say, we're in such a terrible morass. It's so bad at this point. You know, I don't want fascism to literally have to come to our doorstep for us to say, you know what, this two-party system is screwed right. up and we need right. to change things. Yeah. Maybe that's what will happen. I hope it's not. I hope that we wake up and realize before it goes full-on authoritarian, you know, real the real boot comes down. We'll be you know, real close before right. we change, unfortunately. And that's the thing. And that's and, and see, this is why, you know, I, I'm a member, you know, I believe in the non-aggression principle. I don't believe in using violence to advance political goals. Okay. And that, that's that's a central tenet of the Libertarian Party. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen is, is one day, if nobody, if people continue to not speak to the people's needs, the people will eventually rise up. I don't yeah. want that to happen. I want us right. to have more choices and more voices and more options so that people don't feel so frustrated and right. upset. And we're so seeing, and, and, I don't want it to happen. Well, and here's the thing. Here's, here's the reason. Like, he, so two things. One, it excites people because they're like, they're watching the protests in Portland. Me, I, I stay up late and watch protests in Portland on live stream. Like that's one of my, that's one of my hobbies. You um, are a strange dude, Mike. I love you, but that's one of your hobbies. That's one of my hobbies. Now, you know, a little, little, it's, you know, but, but, I, but I really, I want to know what's going on. And, and, but here's the problem is that the principles of those folks are, there's there's no consensual ideology and it's very marxist right and that's mm-hmm. in my opinion that's um, very dangerous that's not my that's not where i want to go i don't i'm not trying to burn down the system to a point where we're not working together to build a better one i think so that's a I, big problem so so one of the reasons why i'm out there and among those folks is to tell them that you know there's actually a better way than marxism there's actually this thing called freedom and liberty that we could be fighting for and if we really all band together and here's the at the end of the day this is what I, I get this all the time. You know, I wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. I attend marches and things like that. And I've had even the libertarians going, why are you out there with those Marxists? I say, they're not always going to be Marxists as Absolutely. long as, we, as if we don't go out there and we, we have to bring them out into Muhammad, so to speak. But also, here's the deal. Am I more afraid of a tyrannical government that currently has the ability to just snatch me off the street if they want to? Like literally has that power. And Barack Obama was cool having that power too. Let's not forget just because the guy looked good in a suit does not mean that he did not have terrible, terrible policing powers, okay? Since 9-11, it's gotten way worse. True, yeah, okay. the Patriot Act has made that happen. There you go. But as far it, as I'm aware, Trump's the first to actually use said power. So here's the truth. Do I, am I more afraid of a government that can do that or of some 22-year-old Marxist kid who's out fighting the good fight in the streets? I'm not scared dude. of that guy. Yeah, I am not afraid of him. You know why? I agree. I agree. Because he doesn't have the power and he's never going to get it in a democracy. No. Well, okay. So, so two things. One, Chase, I love that you're like literally proselytizing like Sermon on the Mount style. Like you don't have to be anarchists. We're here for you. The dude, I mean, we need to get you like some loaves and fishes style. I'll say this. Anarchy <laughs> and Marxism are different. Some they are. And, that's, and that's, that was my second. I love to get anarchist friends. Well, and that's fair. Well, but true anarchy Anarchists, well, that's a whole rabbit hole. But I was going to say that you are both, um, I think you're both and the whole country is really doing a disservice to poor Karl Marx because his principles have nothing to do with these with with, with what these people are trying to right. accomplish. Right. An- anarchism is very different than 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 uh, Well, it is, but even 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 uh, even destruction-based rioting and, and even peaceful protesting, See, Karl Marx himself Karl Marx yeah. himself basically said that communism is is not for now. It's for when democracy has reached its end point. 
and I think that that's mis- misappropriated frequently. So I want to say, I think there's a little misunderstanding uh, here of what anarchism is. Anarchism is not destruction of property and just destroying. No, it's no government. Zero government. It, it, is, it is mutual people coming together to form their own kind of, uh, not even a, I mean, the, one of my favorite anarchists out there is Vermin Supreme. He's a left anarchist. He actually ran for the Libertarian nomination for president. He wears a giant boot on his head. He talks about ponies for everybody. He's a wonderful person. <laughs> he's pretty. He's pretty entertaining at the very. He is a fantastic person. If you're ever ever in a police action, he's the person you want to be next to because he's so good at de-escalating violence. He's so good at it because he just goes in there with a smile on his face, a bullhorn, a boot on his head, and it kind of de-escalates the situation. So shout out to Vermin. Uh, first and foremost, but in, in there are anarchy is a spectrum. There is left anarchists, right anarchists. It kind of goes all across. Uh, much of libertarianism is actually founded in left anarchism. If you really go back to like the history of libertarianism in, the, right. in North America, a lot of it comes from the left anarchist tradition. That would be um, the most minimal of government. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I do want, but while we have a little bit of time left here, I do want to speak to some things that I'm running on and the, the things that I feel like these are the issues that I want to bring to Washington, D.C., because I have been on the streets of Atlanta, I have listened to people, and these are the voices that I want to elevate, because they're the grassroots voices, and they're often not the voices you hear in the halls of power. So I want to talk about things like, uh, so ending cash bail is something that I've gotten a lot of flack for. I put end cash bail in one of my posts and got attacked by the bail bond industry. because Bro, yeah, of course. Of course. I watched that shit go down live. And, uh, <laughs> you got I got... <laughs> I got called all kinds of, you want, you just want to let molesters out of jail. You just want to let murderers out of jail. And it's like, I want to let poor people who got busted for DUI or uh, petty drugs. A little crime. bit of weed. Yeah. Come on. So the numbers are. is enormous and mm-hmm. they make oh, a lot me. of money. They make a lot of noise too, but I want to make some noise right now. The truth is, and this is what everybody needs to know. Currently, right now on average in this country, 500,000 people are in a jail cell. And they're in a jail cell not because they have ever been convicted of committing a crime, not for anything, for any reason other than the fact they are too poor to afford the bail to get out of jail, too poor to afford the cash bail. So right. now what we have is we have a two-tier justice system. You have a justice system where people who can afford it get out of jail, they go home, they go back to their job, they go back to their family, they go back to their life, and you have folks who are too poor to get out of jail. And what happens to them? They lose their job. Sometimes they lose their family, they lose their livelihood, and they get stuck in the prison probation pipeline here in Georgia. We actually have more people in the total spectrum of criminal justice, like incarceration, when you include imprisonment, probation, all that stuff, per capita, Georgia is like the highest in the country. No shit. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a ridiculous problem that people are really crying out for. What Wait, are the did reasons? You say that was per capita. I think it's yeah. I think it's per wow. capita, like per per you know per hundred wow. people. Georgia has like the highest because most of it has probation. We have ridiculously long probation rates, and that's because the state wants you to get screwed over, caught again, and thrown back in jail. All right, over in a racket. Yep. Exactly. It's a total racket. And what happens often is there's so many things that are against the law that create, become felonies. And then these people lose the right to the vote. They're truly disenfranchised. You know, Stacey Abrams likes to talk about disenfranchisement of votes. Well, that's one of the issues that I think libertarians and uh, folks who are uh, on the left can get around is, is we need to let people who have served their time and done their sentence get their life back together. And yeah. part of that is giving them the dignity of having the vote again. If they're counted on the census. They should be counted when it comes to the voter rolls. Um, and so much of this comes from the war on drugs. And that's one of the things you talked about how the Libertarian Party was founded in 1971 and was mm-hmm. response to, uh, to Richard Nixon. Well, yep. Richard Nixon is the guy who really created the war on drugs. And uh, we want to talk about like it's a cost of forty seven billion dollars a year. How so much how much could we do 
uh, if we either just gave that $47 billion back to people in terms of we not having to tax them, or if you want to give it to the local communities and let local communities invest, build some playgrounds or whatever, you know, education, uh, anything, anything yeah. better, anything better than perpetuating a drug war that puts so many people in jail and creates such violence. Right now we want to talk about violence uh, in Mexico, 150,000 people have been dead from the drug war violence that we have caused in uh, numbers of people incarcerated, 450,000 people are currently incarcerated uh, or per or per year, sorry, um, for petty drug crime. Twenty seven percent of those arrests are for people of, are for black uh, for black people. Right, they're thirteen percent of the population. African American. Twenty seven percent. Twenty seven percent of the arrests. That's right. ridiculous. Uh, and that and the twenty eighteen arrest was one point six million arrests. Six hundred sixty three thousand of those being for cannabis alone. So if we just eliminated cannabis being illegal in the like what the twenty something states uh, since twenty eighteen. You'd have six hundred sixty thousand people less in jail. This is the this is the cost of, and this is big government. This is the cost of big government. This is what happens when you give so much of our power to the federal government to police things because yeah. you have these top down mandates, and they say, well, if you don't enforce the drug crimes, we're going to stop giving you federal funding for this, that, and the other. It should be the other way around. The funding should be coming from the local. Uh, government and going upward. The federal government should have way less impact on you. Your president and your senator and your congressman should have less direct impact on your life every day than your mayor, your alderman, and your chief of police. Those are the people that need to be having the true power, and those are the people we need to be able to vote out. That's the thing. Like we, It just goes top-down too much, and I want bottom-up growth. Like That's um, what libertarianism is about, is power of the individual. Well, and, and the irony behind that is that, that the vast majority of people who um, consider themselves conservative and believe that the Civil War was uh, for states' rights should be on your side on that, but they're not, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, because, well, because the truth is, is folks who use the lost cause excuse of the Civil War, the reality is, is they're wanting to perpetuate racism. That's the truth. I'm sorry. And, or... Or, like me and most every other person who was educated in Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi or wherever, in government-run public schools, they were taught this terrible, terrible curriculum because this is what public schools wanted to teach. It would have been nice if there was a more robust private education system that could have been teaching the real history of Georgia. Well, uh, the private education system here in the South also teaches the I'm sure they do. But uh, the, the point remains that, you know, again, public schools are not infallible. Right. Oh, absolutely but, uh, but back, but back to, back to but these neither are private schools, but go, yeah, go on. So back to, yeah. <laughs> hey, Mike, we've lost your, your, frozen. you're frozen. Um, you, yeah. <laughs> so we want to talk about, uh, other criminal justice reforms. One of the things I talk about is ending no knock raids. You know, these no knock raids. have Breonna not, Taylor would still be alive if it wasn't for that. Breonna shit. Taylor would still be alive. Duncan Limp would still be alive. Uh, there would be a child. There was a 19-month-old in Habersham County, Georgia, in 2015, who was scarred horrifically because the police just threw a flashbang grenade in through the window and it landed in her cradle. Okay, mm. this is wrong. That it's is the not same wrong. as a, it's the same as a gang-driven drive-by, right? Like in terms of of just ab- absurdity. There are better ways. There are better ways to make arrests than no-knock warrants, especially when there are innocent people. How many? How many? Dogs and kids do we have to see get shot in one of these things before we realize that this is the wrong oh, way to do things? There hasn't been a dog, has there? Then they would have changed Oh, it. no, no. The dogs are killed all the time. Dogs police are killed all police the time. shoot dogs all the time. It's, it's absurd. It happens so much. In fact, there was a friend of mine who's a libertarian. About a week ago, they had a GoFundMe up for $10,000 worth of surgery because the police shot their dog because their dog got off leash 
and ran around the back of a building and they shot the dog, a little dog, not even a big dog, a tiny dog. And so um, yeah. you, you shouldn't have a fear. If you have a fear for your life as a police officer from a, from a Labrador running at you, you really need to re-examine what you do for a living. I'm just going to say uh, it. Like, uh, and the, those training systems seem to be adjusted. Well, yeah, there's the there's a less Grossman like uh, kill or be killed. You're the sh- you're the sheep dog. That mentality, I I understand it and I can see where it's coming from. No, it comes a from lot, like a, stop a lot of where it comes a lot from. of a lot of the problem with policing comes from that level of training. And there are many many departments that are trained by oh what is his name? He was on behind that they did a whole thing. I remember, yeah. Um, oh, I know exactly your time. I can't remember his name at the moment. He's the yeah. kill, he's the killology guy. Killology, like yeah. So I mean, there are better ways to have policing. And again, changing policing is not just about well, let's just let people get away with crime. No, it's about increasing community trust and making the job of police safer. Um, right. Well, and, and in all fairness, the vast majority of the work of the police is not to actually solve crimes or you know figure out who done it, like it's pretended to be. It's really just it, it continuing to institute law and order. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 Bless you. To, that, and to that end, um, I also think we need to end the militarization of police. I agree with you. That. Know, and, and and that's, why, that's why I think that – go ahead, Mike, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, you've been trying for a minute, Mike. Go ahead. You've got to jump in here, man. Dude, I'm trying, bro. You're pissing me off. All right. Me? My, my question – yes, you. Uh, my question is my question for you, Chase, is I've uh, again going back to to Keith. He he's somebody who's talked to me quite a bit about this. He's like, "What do you mean by the demilitarization of po- demilitarization of police? What does that actually mean? What does that actually mean to you, Chase?" Okay, so what it means to me is first off, I don't think you should be completely disarmed. I totally am. Again, being a Second Amendment guy. You should totally have the uh, ability to defend yourself. You should have the ability to respond tactically to a a situation. But what we have now is we have so many police departments that get such massive amounts of funding that they buy this, these giant armored vehicles, the, the, the scary looking equipment that gets rolled down the street when things happen and whose streets have I, uh, okay. And uh, we grew up in Gwinnett County, Mike. Uh, How often do you think you see the giant tanks rolling down the streets of Gwinnett County, Georgia? I've I've never seen you see them rolling through the old fourth ward. You see them rolling through Panther town. You see them rolling through Summerhill and Kirk uh, and Kirkwood. You see them running through the neighborhoods. Where, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I grew up in Georgia. I don't ever remember seeing tanks roll down the street. And what I'm talking about is armored personnel carriers. These things okay. that SWAT teams driving. There's just so much. Uh, it, and it creates again, a level of and distrust us versus and them. I don't think I, you should certainly have a bulletproof vest, but you should not be, having so many rounds of tear gas that you can just toss it around like it's tissue paper. The, the, the amount of funding for tactical weaponry, when we could be putting more funding into things like, you know, actually addressing uh, issues like instead of, instead of funding the drug war and all the equipment and all the armored personnel carriers and all that stuff that comes with that, why not fund addiction programs to actually like help people who are drug addicts get off the drugs, do right. what Portugal did. Portugal did. They decriminalized their drug laws, and they took a lot of funding from police action and fighting their drug war into addressing addiction. And now, like, the uh, the uh, intravenous drug use in Portugal is, like, half of what it was. It was a real crisis, and now it's actually under control nowadays. Dude, and that is huge, and that's what I, I – mean, we've talked about this on this show so many times. And, and Keith, who's listening, who's our – 
our our officer from Alaska has has said to me, we need to decriminalize drugs. We must mm-hmm. decriminalize drugs. And it's going to be – and you mentioned this earlier about pulling off the Band-Aid. Like sometimes you just got to pull off the Band-Aid. This might be one of those things where we need to pull off the Band-Aid. Yep. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Chase, you've got a lot of support going on right now in this uh, in, in, in this live stream. Don says, we are, we are a porcupine. We want the ring of power to throw it in the volcano. Love it, Chase. Nikki says, love you, Chase. Miss our creek days. Amen, dude. If I didn't live in the sixth, you'd have my vote in a second. Um, Keith, our, our, uh, our officer from Alaska, says, flip the system. Don says, our current justice system is based on imprisonment. It should be based on rehabilitation. Ironically, the justice system is unjust. Exactly. And, uh, and this is why, again, um, why I'm so happy to be speaking for folks like Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. Because these are issues that they talk about. And if they win the election, that's fine. If they don't win the election, that's also fine. Because now the Democrats will know that there are millions and millions of people who want to see these reforms. And if they want to get that for, uh, I don't know if Joe Biden's even going to run for re-election, for Kamala Harris's first term run, if she really wants those votes, well, now if she wins this election, if they win this election, they have the opportunity to speak to those issues. And they're going to say, okay, there's millions of votes out there that we can get next time if we really just speak to those issues and guess what you're not going to lose one democrat vote if you end qualified immunity right. you're not really going to lose them because what are they going to go to right right so and and then this is the thing i think competition and having more choices makes all the parties better it makes everyone better when they have to say you know what uh, uh political discourse having more voices in political political discourse it's like a wet stone to a blade it sharpens the arguments it yes. makes things better for everyone and right now it's fucking dull we have a dull ass republican party we have a dull ass democratic party and people are noticing and it's getting disgusting well yeah. and they have no need to compete they have no need to compete there's no right exactly and so, let's, and so let's put joe jorgensen in the debate let's put Howie Hawkins in the debate too but let's put alternative voices in the debate and we should demand that and the way you're going to get those changes I do want to speak to that. The way Joe Jorgensen gets in the debate is she gets to 15% in polling, which is an extremely high threshold. But what we can do right now is I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I don't care if you're voting for Joe Jorgensen. If a pollster calls you, say you're voting for Joe Jorgensen. Get her to 15%. <laughs> yeah, and that makes sense because at the end of the day, that doesn't change anything come November 4th. No, it won't. All we'll do is put another voice in the debate and kind of force Donald Trump and force Joe Biden to answer to these issues and to really right. speak to them. And you know what? Crazy enough, she might win. Who knows? Yeah, you're the crazy. The fact is, is that we need happen. another voice in the debate. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I appreciate Crazier your optimism. Hey, no I appreciate Everybody said it was going to be Jeb Bush losing to Hillary Clinton four years ago. <laughs> well, the Bush name has been... Uh, and everyone said it was going to be uh, Hillary Clinton versus uh, John McCain in 2008, too. Would, would you mind speaking real quick? And, uh, and um, can you speak to the outright libertarians a little bit? For those oh, of you just listening uh, at home, uh, uh, you've got, you've got Chase, <laughs> Chase is wearing his rainbow shawl right now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the outright libertarians are, who they represent, and how they fit into the Libertarian Party? Because there's, there's a history of the Libertarian Party, as with America in general and people in general, not being accepting of the LBGTQ community. Can you kind of break that down for us real quick? Yeah, so uh, Outright Libertarians is a charity nonprofit organization. We're actually not formally part of the Libertarian Party. We are a charity organization, and we have a twofold uh, twofold purpose. 
First and foremost, we seek to educate libertarians about GSM, that's gender and sexual minorities. We use the term GSM because it's a lot easier than LGBTQIA+++++. So we just go GSM. So uh, it's to educate libertarians about GSM issues, the GSM community, GSM policy, and uh, and the way to speak to those issues, the way to actually like use the correct terminology. Some people just don't know. So educating libertarians is number one. And then secondly, we seek to educate the GSM community that there is actually a political home for them. If they feel like the, Lib- uh, the Democrat and Republican parties don't uh, represent them, we want them to know that there is a perfectly uh, accepting and loving place for them to fall politically. And in fact, that's why I became a libertarian. Um, I was politically apathetic after I voted for Obama in 2008. The wars didn't end, the drone bombs increased, yes. get in closed. So I thought, I'm not going to even vote anymore. I'm done. And I was at Atlanta Pride in 2010, and our candidate for governor, John Mons, uh, and the Libertarian Party of Georgia was out there actually having a booth and speaking to voters. And it's where I found my political home. Um, so uh, we're doing a fantastic thing right now. I do want to announce this. So we're doing a uh, Libertarians last year. We did a dad bod calendar where some of our dad bod libertarians <laughs> post. Well, this year we're doing a drag calendar for outright libertarians. So we're asking libertarians awesome. all across the ideological spectrum to throw on a pair of heels, throw on a, throw on a uh, gown, or if you're, or if you're, a, if you so, identify as female, do a drag king for a day. Do you, do and, you uh, have to, do you have to be a libertarian? Cause I would like to vote Brooks into that. Is that, I, I, not, I second my own nomination. Well, I will uh, AOC myself. <laughs> do I have to shave? Well, um, so here's the deal. I am, uh, I don't think you have to shave. Vermin Supreme also has a lovely beard. He has been one of the people who will be nominated, uh, who, who signed up for it. I am one of the people who has signed up to do this. So awesome. if you want to see me in drag, um, definitely check out Outright Libertarians on Facebook, and we will definitely uh, let you know when the donations go live. It's a vote for your donations. So we have about 30 people competing. The top 12 get to be our models. And, cool. uh, so the, and the number one, they get to keep half for their caucus or their local affiliate party or whatever. The other half goes to Outright. And then the next 11, it's a 75-25 split. So everybody... You know, gets money for their caucus. They get money to outright to help increase education for GSN people. And we have a really fun time. So uh, if you're watching this and you want to see me do drag, keep, uh, <laughs> stay tuned to Outright Libertarians. Go like that page right now. We'll be announcing the nomination soon. And then you can vote with your dollars. Um, also, if you have a few extra dollars, please go to chaseforhouse.com slash donate. It is uh, my chaseforhouse.com is my campaign website. Uh, you can learn a little bit more about where I stand, um, reach out to us, but we need donations because I am competing against uh, one of the major parties here. There's no Republicans, it's just Democrats I'm running against. Um, but every dollar will help to buy like little we buy five cards and get the message out. Yeah, uh, I just want, I just wanted to add to that. If, if, you know, if, even if you are a settle for Biden person like me, um, I actually voted. I actually donated to Chase's campaign because I believe in him and I believe in what he's doing and I believe in the future of the Libertarian Party. Um, so I highly encourage you to go out and donate to Chase. He needs your support. He needs people stepping up, willing to get into these conversations and not be stuck with the same old conversations we've been having on the on the left and the right. We need new conversations. We need innovation. We need new ideas. And we need people like Chase in government. Definitely. And so the the and one of the things you said, Chase, that really speaks to to me particularly, and I think a lot of folks is the idea, and I Don certainly mentioned it, the idea of of accumulating the power so that you can 
disseminate it. But there's only two people that I'm aware of. There's probably more, but they come to mind. George Washington had the opportunity to be president for Vita and said, I'm going to go back to my farm. And so did Marcus Aurelius. I mean, these are two guys who basically had it all and said, and, and in my mind, they stick out as some of the greatest leaders in history. Uh, and I'll tell you that I'm going to have the, the, the calendar will be right under my little baby uh, <laughs> poster back there. Yes. And we'll yes. keep it on the chase page uh, once, uh, once you're I in will, there. I will so. also add the calendar to my wall here. So, so uh, and here's the thing. So uh, with this calendar, the top vote getter gets their choice of month. So I'm hoping to be the top vote getter so that I can choose April because I have this uh, lovely red queen from Alice in Wonderland thing going on the flowers in my mind. So just that's a preview for you guys. Oh man, I like it. I like it. <laughs> You're off with their heads, all the whole. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, uh, thank you for uh, saying that. I'm, I'm proud. I'm very happy to have your support, Mike. I'm happy to have many supporters from across the ideological spectrum. I've had donors who traditionally identify as Democrats, some who identify as Republicans and Libertarians uh, from across the spectrum have been coming out to help support and we we always need more so uh i I thank you very much for your support as well yeah thank you for joining us i mean your answers have been phenomenal you are incredibly well researched on everything you're interested in uh and and i mean just like nikki said i don't live there but you'd absolutely have my vote oh yeah it's been a long time since i've lived next door to nikki and mike they were literally my next door neighbors so from snellville to uh, you know, Florida and, and Atlanta <laughs> and, and, and beyond. And um, yeah, I definitely look forward to um, you, you getting this, this opportunity to move into government. And, you know, I, I, I've seen you grow, man. You were, you, four years ago, you were, you were focused on this and you've been ever more focused and just growing. And, and I mean, your, your opinion is like, I honestly thought I was gonna, um, I, I, yeah, I've I've been I've had my issues with libertarians in the past, and and you have been just uh, incredibly well spoken and, and honest and and direct. So I appreciate what you're doing, and I think you can do some great things in government. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I'd love to come on anytime you guys will have me. Fantastic. Actually, yeah, and I mean, especially if we because I know that we've talked about and will um, doing criminal justice reform, so that might be a hell of a topic. Uh, I'd yeah. like to close us with a toast. Or Mike, you say what you'd like to, but I've got oh, no, a toast but, for us yeah, to close uh, on. Let, yeah, why don't you close us with a toast? I mean, the only thing that I would say is I still don't agree with you on schools, but we'll we'll finish that conversation <laughs> another time. Um, <laughs> and then, so so for those of you listening, keep in mind, uh, if you go to cocktailsandcalamity.com, you can sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we send one out every week on Wednesday. It's going to give you a little preview as to what's to come, uh, some fun tidbits that we find, and let you know what the cocktail for the week is. So if you want to join us, uh, in, in drinking the, the libation of the day. So this was the Libertini. So, hey, cheers to Chase. Best of luck in your race. And uh, I'm going to go uh, to hell. May it be half as fun as getting there. Love it. Thank you, Brooks. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, guys. Take care, guys. Thanks for coming, Chase. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. As the globe continues to shrink and the power of information screams forward, every action, every idea has a chance to catch fire and set the world ablaze. In this time of great uncertainty, we look boldly in the face of calamity with cocktail in hand. Join us every single week as we discuss the technology, politics, and social issues facing humanity's global future. If you'd like bonus content, our weekly newsletter, or an opportunity to join us live, simply go to cocktailsandcalamity.com to join the movement. You can find us live on Facebook at Cocktails.
Cocktails and Calamity every Friday at 5 p.m. You can also watch or listen anytime on YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Join us live. Engage in the conversation. We'll see you there. See you there.